Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our severe case of indecision and our completely biased opinions with Ian and Tyler. You're listening to Sound Audits. How are we doing today, Tyler? Really good. I thought I was muted, but I am not. Uh, we've had some knock on the wood in my room. Uh, we haven't had that many problems with actually setting up. We haven't had to tinker around for an hour to an hour and a half before recording the episodes, trying to get the fucking mics to work. I think we're just getting really good at this. Yes. We're getting professional. So, we've been mentioning possibly doing uh, other excursions along with our regular reviews. And we released not too long ago our uh, uh, David Bowie rememberal episode on the date of his death. So, one of the things that we were dabbling in was diving into certain artists' discographies that we thought uh, have changed the face of music and are, um, well, yeah, that and they have an expansive enough discography and have a discography worth diving into. And uh, we thought there would be uh, no better place to start than the uh, fabled Radiohead. Now, I can't claim responsibility for this idea either. This was Tyler's idea because he's the mastermind behind it all. But hey, hey, Wood is just the one that uh, (laughs) talks and makes us look good. Yeah, I'm the pretty face. Uh, I have information pulled up on Radiohead here. Uh, Basically, what we're going to do here, the way we're going to structure this is we're going to go through their albums in uh, a timeline fashion. We're going to start with their oldest album being Pablo Honey, and then we're going to end on their most recent album being A Moon-Shaped Pool in 2016. So sit tight, relax. This is probably going to be a long-ass episode. Grab a cup cup of joe. Or a cup of Steve, whatever you call it in your area. I don't know. Um, Cup of Kenny. Cup of Kenny. Get your cup of Kenny. Get your cup of Kenny. Here's what is going to go down. I am going to talk, and then Ian is going to talk about each album. Each album will be a section. Get pumped. It's going to be a lot of material. We're going to do a tier list at the end? Yes. We're going to do a tier list at the end. Sick. I'm excited. I'm excited. A little bit of background on Radiohead, just to kind of preface this. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, they are an English rock band formed, duh, they were fucking formed in Oxford, uh, in 1985, um, and it consists of Tom York, uh, who is the vocals, Tomas. the guitar, Tomas, Thom, it's spelled like Thom, like it should be Thumb, Thumb York. <laughs> His name's Thumb fucking Thumb York, eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever said. Uh, the brothers Johnny Greenwood, um, who is the lead guitar, keyboards, and other assorted instruments, and Colin Greenwood, who is bass, along with Ed O'Brien, uh, guitar and backing vocals, and Philip Selway, who is the drums and percussion and things of that nature. And they've worked with producer Nigel Godrich, Nigel Godrich, and the cover artist Stanley Donwood uh, since 1994. And Stanley Donwood, Mr. Donwood, Mr. Don has uh, done all of the artwork for all of their assorted albums albums ever since then, I believe, ever since the bands. I would like to say something kind of cool that not a lot of bands do with their artwork, various things. So Radiohead is one of, easily one of the most visual, as they are musical bands out there in, in today's world, meaning their album covers, their music videos, their merch, every, everything. And a lot of it has a lot of hidden meaning there are things that pop up all the time it it, they're like little easter eggs that are hidden within their artwork um which a lot of bands do in their music but they they haven't from what i know they haven't done it in their music but for example the most recent one that popped up it actually came out last year is that on the on the cover of radiohead's airbag ep there's a, a phone number 
and it's kind of hidden. And when you call the phone number, that used to be Tom York's pager when he was in college. When you call the number, he answers on, on voicemail and then he tells you to F off and he hangs up. And this was just discovered last year. And like everyone was calling this number and so many people called and it was all over forums everywhere. It was all over Reddit. So many people called that they had to permanently shut down that phone number. But That's it was insane. like, it was an Easter egg that they had hidden for like 10 something uh, over a decade. And then it was just discovered and made popular. That is funny. And that there, there are a lot of things, not the same as that, but there are a lot of examples of Easter eggs hidden in there. I'll get into some of that as we talk about the albums themselves, but it's pretty interesting, I think. And it's rare for bands to do such a thing. Most people don't go out of their way to hide meeting like that. Lots of attention to detail with Radiohead. I think that goes for just about every facet of their careers, though, honestly. Another cool thing about their artwork, though, at least their album artwork in general, I saw an interview with the guy um, who did the artwork, or I read an interview or parts of it. Basically, they said that the way that they did it is as the band, especially for In Rainbows, this held true, apparently, as the band progressed through their music and as they would he would sit in on their recording sessions basically and he would try and visualize what the music sounded like um and he would create artwork and the kind of alongside of the band's cre- own creative musical process and a funny quote from him i think was something along the lines of he basically relied on tom york to basically fuck up his artwork so that he could start over again because as the recording sessions would go on of course the band sound would change and it would morph over time into something that didn't sound like what he had created, the visual that he had created for it anymore, so he'd have to start over again uh, from scratch. And he did some weird stuff, especially with In Rainbows, he took, like, a doctor friend's syringes and put wax into them and started squirting shit everywhere, and he messed with that kind of thing. It was weird. I thought it was really interesting, just the, the visual element of things, where the guy, he would just, he would form visually what he thought the music would look like and as the band kind of moved forward with the music he would have to start over again and again and again until the final product was finished for both facets the visual element and the audio element and that was the final product really interesting creative process and really long apparently (laughs) and tedious i i would imagine but I mean, maybe that's just me. Well, I mean, we can get into other tidbits about the band as well as we go through their discography, because a lot of uh, the other information is pertaining to their careers after the point of formation. Uh, It's worthy to note that they first started releasing music in, like, 91, I think, so they didn't release anything until six years after formation. They were just a bunch of college kids kind of doing music for fun a little bit. And then they re- released Creep, and it was all ogre from there. <laughs> that was that, pretty that, much it. That, that's exactly how it happened. But we're going to start with Pablo Honey. I, is there any other background that we should... I think that's no, sufficient. We, need to, we came here to talk about the music, so we're going to talk about the music. We're going to start with Pablo Honey, and we're both going to give you sort of a rundown, and we're going to kind of bounce back and forth off of each other, and yeah, we'll see. I'm excited. We'll see what happens from there, but let's get into the very first album, their 1992 record, Pablo Honey. Ian, I forgive you for goofing uh, 1993 record, Pablo Honey. This was the first 
major step in Radiohead's lengthy journey to becoming a globally recognized band for their contemporary alt-rock form. The first form of this sort of Radiohead was Pablo Honey. As Ian said, they were around for about six years before they actually put out a studio record, which is a pretty lengthy amount of time. It came out on February 22nd of 1993. For an era-defining band, Radiohead had a somewhat unusual uh, beginning. From early on, they looked like they'd be one-hit wonders and... They never seem to approach themselves to sound. Pablo Honey is very much a sign of the times. Pablo yeah. Honey is very much a standard by the numbers post grunge '90s alt rock album. This is post Nirvana's Nevermind, and it sounds like it. This was kind of, and it's clowned on by a lot of fans, hardcore fans especially, as being um, kind of a trash album, like a a pop alt rock trash album. With lots of pop appeal. And honestly, I can see where they're coming from. Um, I'm sorry for cutting you off. I kind of just wanted to give my spiel. This is not, uh, this is not Radiohead fully realized yet. This is definitely their yeah. humble, humble beginnings. So what I was, what I was trying to say, and then I was stumbling across my words is that on the first album, they didn't really attach themselves to a sound. They showed a few brilliant moves i would say but other than that it it wasn't you know they showed promise but like it wasn't anything crazy and their their hit was creep they were expected to be i think that they were expected to be one one hit wonders in my opinion the album lacks the musical daring that characterized their later works and it it finds the band wearing their influences openly on their sleeve and there's a noticeable absence of self-consciousness across the album because they're just very much this, you know, showing off who they, who they were influenced by. There, there's glimmers of U2, The Cure, um, and even The Smiths all across Pablo Honey. And there's, they're not ashamed in any way about that. They show it openly. And there's plenty of grunge. And I hear a little bit of REM. I don't know why so much of this reminded me of REM, but it did. It, it does, genuinely. Yeah. Nevertheless, though, Tom York and his company, they, they assert their Britishness onto the scene. <laughs> <laughs> they assert their Britishness onto the scene. It was a scene that was increasingly being choked out by the grunge that was coming from Seattle and them putting their own influence and, and taste into the mix definitely changed things a little bit, even early on on Pablo Honey, even though it wasn't a big critically acclaimed project or anything like that, they still got their name out there and into the mix, which they hadn't done prior. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most distinguishing features of Pablo Honey in the band's discography is how undistinguished it sounds. That's like the, the number one thing that I remember most about listening to this is that for Radiohead, this is the album that sounds the least like Radiohead. Yes, agreed. It seems almost as if the band was trying to make recognizable sounds, recognizable songs even, to something that had already been made at the time. They were trying to sound like those around them. And again, wearing their influences proudly on their sleeve. It kind of adds to the oversaturation of the culture. Like today we saw it with, um, in this time period anyway, we saw it with Trap and we reached peak Trap. There was a point in our history where we reached peak alternative rock. 
And this definitely added to it. This was not like one of those outside the box, whoa, man, this is super cerebral kind of, no, no, this is a very, very direct, it's a very punchy, it's a very grungy, uh, and it's very, very raw, and um, I'm not going to say it's not well produced, but the, the production is very minimal on everything. It kind of, it, it speaks for itself. The guitar tones are very unfiltered. It's a very unfiltered album, I would say. It's not, it's not touched up or anything like that. It is what it is, and um, you take it or you leave it is basically the situation that you are in creep is radiohead's most popular song and still it is is still and it probably (laughs) i'm sure it always will be and it is for three very good reasons it's easy to relate to in many ways it's extremely memorable in many ways and it fit in with the grunge rock scene that was dominant at the time it had the perfect formula for everything music was looking for at that time it was huge and it it just makes sense it also got a lot of play in israel which was actually really interesting but it was like really pivotal in the spread of them being a global figure outside of uk and the united states wow i didn't know that it's the kind of song that like you can best describe as being nirvana light it's it's lighter than than Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, like yeah. a, it's like a little baby Nirvana is is really what it is. Despite its moments of angst, the album doesn't really swerve that much into grunge. Yeah, it's no. kind it's kind it sticks in its yeah. alt rock um, influence roots. I kind of agree. It's like Nirvana without the teeth. Right. It's right. It, it's just Nirvana gum. without just the gums. It's without the fucking jaw. It's I, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, if there's one thing Pablo Honey does well. For an album, it's how it opens and closes. I thought that the opener and the closer were both extremely song. The intro track, you and outro track, Blow Out, are two absolute highlights of the album. Both surprisingly large in scope, and they're exceedingly well put together for the most part. You begins with nervous and quiet, but quickly grows into a strong rock assembly. Important to note that there are, out of, out of the five members, there's three guitarists, and that is pretty pretty distinguishable. With the three guitars, you can very much tell that it's them. It's a great instrumental. It captures the, the late teenage feeling that the band was coming out of, and Tom York's vocals are a standout, shining component in that track. On Blowout, it's the build-out of the instrumental that's the real standout. Uh, it swells from mellow acoustic guitars into an uproar of rock noise, and it has a really shockingly beautiful ending. It's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous song, and for such a young band, like they really nailed it there. Unfortunately, some of the material that we did get on Pablo Honey it has holes. Like there, it's it's not a a perfect record it's got a lot of issues and it's the most again it's like the record that's the least like radiohead when you look at their discography definitive radiohead album or one of the least anyway it's not what makes radiohead radiohead and i think that's kind of what's important how do you features a pretty catchy riff but feels half-baked it's barely a two-minute runtime, and Tom York's uh, purposely lax vocals don't do a lot to smooth out the edges of the track. Stop Whistering is a corny anthem that asks the listener to, as you could probably guess, 
stop whispering and start shouting. It's a little common, especially for Radiohead. It, you know, it doesn't really stand out a whole lot. Painfully simple, motivational tune. Again, it just rings hollow. It's not that exciting. There's not a lot going on in general lyrically with, with Pablo for the most part. It's about as emotionally developed as the Star Wars prequels is what it is i wouldn't say i would go that far but but i see what you're getting at here it, it has moments of like feiciness uh, a lot of angst it, I, this I is late, some, late teenager rock yeah i think so there's many some ways. genuine teenage angst and feelings on here i think i think some of it rings more genuine than others or some moments ring more genuine than others anyway but yeah i, I can see what you're getting at. yeah <laughs> So if you think about it, this project is like a sandwich. You got the bread on either side. You got some good lettuce, some good tomato and stuff. But the no meat. meat, the meat in the middle is not really there. And if you think it's there, maybe it's there, but it's a little flaccid. It's, it's it's like you have one piece of bologna in there with everything else. You don't even have the bacon. You don't have the roast beef. None of that shit. It's just one piece of flimsy fucking bologna. Either that or some fucking tofu or something like that. Some boring shit. <laughs> the newly founded band had a difficult time trying to escape the mammoth success of Creep, which is completely understandable. But in doing so, they redefined their their creative goals. To quote Tom York, the second album is going to be much better than the first, he said when he was talking to uh, in an interview with Melody Maker not long after the release of Pablo Honey. He said that the first one was quite flawed and hopefully the new one will make more sense. I'd love... I love the first album, but we were very naive and we didn't really know how to use the studio. I think that that shows he said it perfectly because that's really what you hear when you stop and really listen owned to, up it. to it too. Wow, he did. That's but good, and this, that's a good this, quote. This is pri- uh, or just before their second release. But I'm kind of I'm a little jumping ahead. But I wanted to say that I thought it was important. He really stated how I feel. But in summary. Pablo Honey is an incredibly important album in Radiohead's discography. Not so much for the actual musical content, but more so the events that would follow the album and transpire. Also, just as a base, like a base platform, using this as sort of their jumping point into the industry, that was very important as well. Regardless, Pablo Honey serves as a really interesting look into the band that had no idea that they would go on to be one of the most influential and creative forces in music. And more importantly, a band that at the time wasn't trying to do so. That shows itself here. And later on, they did more extravagant, bigger things. But Ian, what I talked a lot. What do you have to say? I mean, it's important to note that they did have a record contract at this point. They signed to EMI in 1991 and they released Creep in 92 along with an EP uh, before their actual album. I think the EP also featured anybody complete guitar. And I think mainly what my point is going to be is that this album receives more hate than it deserves because Radiohead fans are snobby God, okay, this this irks me a little bit because uh, I I see on on the internet uh, in terms of Radiohead, this album is clowned on, especially Creep. Creep as a song is uh, looked down upon in the uh, in in the Radiohead community. You could see them kind of pulling pushing up their glasses like the fucking oh this is the this is the uh, this is this is the generic Radiohead. Anybody can listen to this Radiohead. Shut the fuck up. Creep okay? is a good song. Just because just because that is true doesn't mean it's fucking bad. Creep. Is 
is a good song. I stand by that. It is not perfect. It is not a shining crown jewel of alternative rock in the early 90s or anything like that. But it's not a bad song. The songwriting is pretty good. It's not, and the, the vocal melody, I mean, while it is raw, and again, his voice seems more unfiltered than it ever has on this album, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. It's childlike in a way, and I think that that quality about it is kind of endearing in a, in a way, in a weird way. And this album is not perfect. This is a run-of-the-mill 90s, early 90s alternative rock record, but there are some fine songs on here along with Creep. Anybody Can Play Guitar is a fine rock song. Ripcord, fine alternative rock song. Vegetable, fine alternative rock song, okay? I, there are some, like Tyler said, like, stop whispering. There are some corny-ass moments on here, okay? And some some of it's hard to get past. Some of it sounds so unbelievably run-of-the-mill that it kind of irks me at some points. But there's not, like, really anything on here that stands out to me as completely horrendous. Nothing that really attacks my inner soul like a lot of the music today does or even some of the music from the 90s, some, some of the trash that was released in the 90s. It's not complete trash this is i think this is this sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you it's a learning step in creating music you can see in this who they were influenced by you can see what kind of music they were clearly into and you can see what they were trying to do and it's a learning step their next project was so they learned so much in this process and tom knew that i'm sure the whole band but he of course him him being the lead singer is kind of the spokesperson him saying that in interviews like look we know we were a bit naive we know we didn't know how how to use this studio we're learning and owning up to that is like really the most important part and it's not i feel like feel like a lot of fans treat this like it's a crime and it's like they were kids learning how to make music like they they did nothing wrong here this is just a this is a step in a process you can't have a home run on the first right for people for for people to have a home run to hit their stride immediately off the bat with their first album is almost unheard of it really is and if they do it's downhill from there Ah, generally, sometimes, a lot of the times, but I, I don't, I mean, I, I know don't of have some, any bands personally that are home run after home run after home run after home run. I, I'm just going to keep mentioning REM because REM was really good. <laughs> REM hit their high point with their first album and they kept it there until like, I don't know, the late nineties or something like that. I haven't dove in d- or dived deep into their, get ready for their discography. D- yeah. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll do that at some point because they just fucking deserve one. Um, but Radiohead was not one of those bands. They weren't like REM with their, it wasn't a super critically acclaimed first debut album or anything like that. But again, it were, it was some kids finding their footing, learning what it was to make music in the early nineties. And we go from there. Okay, because a, a lot of the times, like, I'm not going to go too much in depth with this album because this album isn't really in depth. You listen to it. It's right on the nose. It's right on the face of the album. It is what it is. And it is ki- a kind of generic, but passable early 90s alternative rock album. And it set the stage for what their 1995 release was going to be. This is sort of like, I would call this like pre-Radiohead. This is the pre-Radiohead album where Radiohead were defining what Radiohead is because Radiohead isn't just a band at this point. It's kind of a fucking legacy and uh their next album would definitely define that a little bit more than this album would and their next album would be their 1995 release the bends so shall we talk about that next we shall
Okay, I would say the Benz. This is this is an interesting point in Radiohead's career. I would say if Pablo Honey was pre-Radiohead, the Benz is post-pre-Radiohead. <laughs> if that makes any sense whatsoever. Still not yet fully realized, but we're getting there. This is a, a much bigger step than Pablo Honey was, and it's a bigger, more ambitious musical statement than Pablo Honey was. And God, are there some great tracks on the Benz. Yeah, I agree. Had Radiohead vanished after Pablo Honey, Quint, what is that, a quintet? There's five of The quintet from England would have been remembered as a decent grunge band with a novelty hit and a reaction to the success of Creep. Um, my Iron Lung found Radiohead still exploring the loud, soft dynamic, uh, which they had already attempted before. But, but much more ambitiously. Correct. But guitarist Johnny Greenwood was also locating his own identity as York was vastly inspired by Jeff Buckley and is extremely vocal in, in the fact that he was inspired by Jeff Buckley. Tom was learning how to use his voice at this point. He didn't really know on Pablo Honey, I, I don't feel like. At least he wasn't confident in his voice. Tom and, York is a much more capable frontman and on he, the Benz. And he, he starts to get there, certainly, on the Benz. He starts to widen his vocal range and get comfortable doing so. And he starts including more falsetto, which becomes kind of his staple. But at this point, he's starting to get there and learn it. Yeah, the, the, the grunge ripoff that Tom York tried to be with his raw or kind of lower voice, lower vocal uh, register on Pablo Honey is kind of gone on the bends, and he reaches into his more wispy, um, much more emotionally packed and emotionally loaded uh, falsetto range. And that is very, very important to note when listening to the bends. The Benz is essentially split between uh, these, this North Pole and this South Pole. Warmth and tension. It's got kind of three poles, actually. Uh, six poles. It's got a lot of poles. Uh, riffs and texture, and then rock and post-rock. It kind of bounces between these things, and that is really the description of the Benz if you had to put it into six words or poles, as I said. To many fans, this is the more approachable and lovable version of the band at its peak. I don't really agree, but the record is still kind of a marvel in a lot of ways. Uh, Tom York explored the expressive power of moaning his lyrics. I can't really think of a better way unless if you were like saying wailing. I don't, that does sound weird to me though. But he, he uses this, this kind of technique a lot. And he, you know, they're just figuring everything out on this. Um, the title of the bends refers to decompression sickness when deep sea divers come up too quickly. And this was Tom York's comment on the band's sudden fame kind of genius the record is filled with lovely ballads full of longing jealousy and there's actually like quite a few critiques on consumer culture and we'll kind of start to get more of those types of themes on later projects but we can leave that for later yeah i mean thematically they are more realized on this project as well because um a lot of times they are labeled as uh, a commentary their entire career could be a commentary on human alienation um and they do get more in-depth with that down the road, but we're getting more and more glimpses of that on the bends, um, especially with songs like Planet Telex and Fake Plastic Trees and High and Dry and all those things where he is kind of very 
pained through his vocals. You can kind of hear how lonely he feels, and I I think the loneliness is part of the driver for Tom York. On my favorite track, which is the final track, uh, Street Spirit, Fade Out, over chiming guitar arpeggios, uh, Tom York sings a hymn to his own claustrophobia and insignificance and it makes him sound and actually it makes the band sound like they're broken states of being but it's done it's done so well and by the end of the song with there's all these harmonies swirling around and the the beauty has touched even him in a place that that he's singing from the place that he's singing from and it's really like a crazy thing to listen to and i can't really describe it you just have to experience it for yourself but the final words on an, an emotional break in kind of a bleak album are immerse your soul in love and this is like it's 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 well done it's just yeah. well done the Benz is, is like one album. of those alternative classics that you can easily relax to but it, it is one of their bleaker more I don't, I don't know if sad is the right word radio's head is really hard to describe in a lot of ways it's very sad. It is like if is you're, if you're right gonna word? if you're gonna boil it down to the, the barest of elements, sad is the proper emotion uh, to boil it down to. I think the various songs cover everything from depression to alienation. Like Ian said, it's not grungy. It's more comparable to like indie rock art at the time was yeah. probably the closest thing that it would fall under. It's still alternative rocky, especially in uh, some of the more acoustic ballad moments on the album. I think it it dabbles much. More more an acoustic alternative rock of the time, um, but again, still finding more of their own footing. I don't think that this is the the band's best, but it is probably one of their more digestible albums. This is far more accessible than the electronic work, the electronic works of um, Spoiler Alert, uh, Kid A, and OK Computer. I I do think that this this is an alt rock classic. Like this is something this is you can always album. go back to. This is a solid album, but again for radiohead they just get better <laughs> i wouldn't put it on the same level as pink floyd or david bowie or anything like that but it is a solid alt rock album and again traveling more into the artier territory that radiohead would cover with their later works slightly down the road um my iron lung is a fantastic example of that again sort of a grungy alt rock tune but much more much more clever and much more creative um, with the sonic highs and lows that it hits because it it's very sweet and melodic at some points and then it just goes straight fucking noise um, on some of the other sections and it's fantastic um, as well as High and Dry and Faith Plastic Trees are two of the best alt-rock ballads I guess or pop songs acoustic pop songs that the band's ever penned um, they are a little bit run-of-the-mill they're not like super creative or anything like that but they're very sweet um they're very well-written songs as well as well as i think this album shows more of the band's it's it's a better it's a better show of how dynamic the band is at its truest form again like tyler said there is a lot of different places that they were pulling from uh from alternative rock to post rock to post grunge uh post punk some alternative british folk and stuff like that acoustic rock and all of that stuff and honestly it's not a bad show of it. There are weaker points on this album, and I will say that it's a little bit all over the place. It's not completely focused yet, like the band's next couple of albums, but it is, again, the stepping point that brought us to their seminal album, OK Computer. 
uh, which was released in 1997. And I think this is a good jumping point because this is gonna be this this is gonna be a this is gonna be a long one, boys. Strap in, cause we're about to pound this one out again, boys. As they regroup to figure out what their third album might be, Radiohead faced, if not a crossroads, then an unusual stretch of road. On their first two records, they had worked with two different conventional rock producers, and they itched to cut Tether from professional studios altogether. They had earned the freedom to thrash around. They had money. They had success. Um, they had money to burn stop being traditional they were ready to to make their own way it's kind of funny to think that tom york's answer to the to the the question what would radiohead's next album look like he his answer to that was was positive that was what he wanted to make the the next record look like positive um, was the word positive he said, describe what the next album will be like in one word. And his his, his word was positive. That's a little ironic. It's hilarious. No more Iron Lungs or songs inspired by brutal gun rampages, he swore. <sighs> this time he told MTV, I'm deliberately writing down all the positive things I hear and see. It's Cue the unclear. Tyler, the creator it's, meme. It's un- well, that was a fucking lie. <laughs> it's unclear what happened to that album. Okay, computer was not it no absolutely not ian uh is this the greatest album of all time fans and critics alike will always ponder the question this is not the greatest album of all time but it is one of the greatest crowning achievements that rock has ever seen period this album is one of the crown jewels of the genre i guess we can tell you why um radiohead the experimental elements of the bends, as I'm not going to say they were few because they weren't super few, um, but it wasn't jam-packed full of forward-thinking and predictive ideas like this album was. This album, you could basically argue the point that this album uh, directly caused Coldplay, bands like Coldplay and The Killers and Muse and stuff like that to exist, and you could make a pretty good argument for it as well. You could make a pretty good argument that this album caused the entirety of early 2000s rock, and I wouldn't argue with you, because this album, the reach was so widespread, it was so international, it was so globalized, that it was unbelievable for the time. And it's not hard to see why, either, because some of the songs on here, no, not even some of them, all of the songs on here are watertight they are incredible it has one of the best track flows of any album period that has ever been written and you can fight me on that point uh maybe maybe there are better albums better examples but this is this is real close to the top and i'm we can go track by track here but i i want to give tyler another chance to kind of speak his piece so on okay computer radiohead began to take the ideas that they had begun toying with on the bends and they took these ideas into uh i think it's fair to say they took these ideas into the stratosphere 
Yeah. Undeniably, that's that's where they went. At a time where they could have played it safe, Radiohead released a concept album whose theme, based on Rock's age-old fear of the imminence of a world run by computers, uh, they unfolded this theme during the course of their was it 12 songs this um, is where human alienation uh that that theme that rayo had always has been playing with since this album this is where it has been fully realized and put into album mode i want to preface all of this if you've never listened to okay computer i don't think that okay computer is an easy listen I don't think this is an explainable listen either. No. Like this, our words are not going to do it justice. Especially if this is the first Radiohead album that you're going to listen to, I would say don't. I would say pick the the Benz or in rainbows, and for reasons that we'll say otherwise, just so that you're not turned away because you're going to listen to this and go, what, <laughs> what. From guitarist Johnny Greenwood's menacing riff that introduces the opener airbag to York's fragile pleas to slow down on the final track, The Tourist, each song takes time to reveal itself as a narrative link to the album's ultimate, really forward-thinking message. In the in the sweet Paranoid Android, one of the band's most favorable popular, critically acclaimed tracks, um, acoustic and electric elements and instruments float understandingly through the mix as Tom York sings through clenched teeth, so, so apparent that he is like so into this. Um, ambition makes you look very ugly. It's one of his most famous lyrics and it's brought up all the time in the music industry and people fight about it for un- unknown reasons un- unbeknownst reasons to me in the radiohead forums i can't understand but they always do complex tempo changes torches of dissonance really ancient choral music propel the song to its conclusion where york sings in a pleading voice god loves all of his children on several other tracks radiohead also draw from the their past inspiration the music on OK Computer has a surreal cinematic quality. This is like listening to a movie. This album hints at some kind of dark spiritual crossroad. In the delicate song No Surprises, York announces, This is my final fit, my final bellyache. Where Radiohead might go from this project, which came out a while ago. I know where they go, but at the time, nobody knew where they were going to go. It could have been anyone's guess. OK Computer is evidence that they are one rock band still willing to spit in the face of the music industry and just really go against the grain and do whatever they want. They don't conform to anyone or anything. They are really out there and they they are filthy rich for doing so. They paved the way for so much and it could not have paid off more. You don't, I, I can't really think of a, a lot of people. There's just few people that do that. There's few people that pave the way for what comes next. And Radiohead is so clearly one of those bands being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just last year, 2019. Like they, they're massive, massively influential. Although there's a lot of people who would like to be like them. As clearly detailed by nearly all of 2000s, early 2000s alternative rock. 
it's not hard to see why people wanted to sound like them. Songs like Paranoid Android are the weirdo, alt-rock, outcast equivalent to Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, it's... Uh, I, okay, it's not the it's not the same peak that Bohemian Rhapsody was. I mean, Bo- Bohemian Rhapsody was, like, a cultural center point for the time. This is not a cultural centerpiece. I mean, this is, like, the weirdo anthem equivalent. This is... This is the introverts equivalent to Bohemian Rhapsody. And, I mean, it's multifaceted, it's multifaced, the lyrics are weird and quirky out of their mind, and it's fantastic. They also, Radiohead did some toying around with some weird musical kind of niche areas, like on Airbag, they they played around with a drum machine. It's not actually live drums, and the very first song of this album, uh, it's it's a drum machine, and that paved the way for a lot of what they would be doing down the road as well. Karma Police, track number six, kind of stands as their last testimony uh, to their sort of poppier origins, uh, with probably the most straightforward song on this entire project. Kind of the easiest to get into, probably, I would say, as well. And there are some fantastic ballads on here. No Surprises stands to be one of my favorite Radiohead songs ever, period, end, end sentence. It's just fantastic. The Tourist is a fantastic way to close out the album with its weird chord progression. Uh, it's a five-minute runtime, but it's a it's a fantastic sentiment to leave off on. Um, Fitter Happier stands to be one of the most head-scratching head moments in their career uh, with a one-minute, 50-second interlude of uh, a humanoid, kind of like the, 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 the computer from, what is the space, the space odyssey or whatever? It's some... Uh, text-to-speech prompt or something like that is what it sounds like, and it's kind of just saying things that it's fitter, fitter, happier. It's kind of like, I was analyzing it a little bit, and what I took out of from it is that it's it starts off listing things that should make people happy, but as time goes on, that line slowly gets more and more blurred, and it starts spouting some nonsense, and the song ends off on the lyric, um, or I guess the, it's more of a spoken word piece, it's not, like, it's not lyrics necessarily, um, again, it gets slowly more and more unhinged as, uh, the song progresses. The song ends on the, uh, the words, a pig in a cage on antibiotics. And it starts with the the line, fitter, happier, more productive, comfortable, not drinking too much. And it's kind of just listing things off. And it ends on kind of a weird, twisted note. And I, th- I think it's a commentary on society's uh, growing immoralism, especially when it comes to computers and stuff like that. Uh, the line just becomes more and more blurred, and that becomes ever more potent and more relevant as time moves on, which is wild. It's incredible to even think about that. It's kind of scary as well. Um, this really depicts a dystopian future, especially from the 90s standpoint. And now we're in 2020. It looks more and more like we're headed there. It's kind of weirdly meta and predictive and not in the best of ways because this again is a very sad uh and downtrodden album but goddamn is it just a, a piece of work in the radiohead discography and really in rock music in general it just it stands the test of time i think this album is going to be around for many many years uh many more decades it will stand as a, a testament to rock music of the time and again, I'm not going to really pick through every single song on here because if I were to do that, I'd spend hours doing that. Go listen to the album for yourself. I'm not going to do it justice. 
some of the more electronic elements on this album as well are predictive of what the band will be doing in the future as well with some of the drum machines and some of the weird synth melodies and um, a lot of the weirder uh, instruments that they'd be using like glockenspiels and different range pieces as well would be very predictive of what they would be doing next not in the most straightforward of ways kind of just in practice not anywhere near in style because from this album there was a three three and a half year gap between this album and the one that came after it during that time period they toured this album to death the tour period was massive it was long and tom york had basically become fed up with guitars and alt rock and touring and all that shit he was depressed out of his mind and he wanted out and for a while it seemed like this album would spell the death of radiohead and we can get into a little bit more detail in the next section. They did what no other band before them has ever done, uh, and they made a complete 180 from this genre that they found themselves seated in. OK Computer stu- still stands as their last truly alternative rock album, and although it is a fantastic album, fans and critics alike wanted more um, from them in this vein. They wanted them to push the boundaries of alt-rock even more. Uh, Tom York said, fuck that, I'm doing something else. And we can get into that in the next section here, because the album that came after this one is 2000's Kid A. And this again stands as a crowning achievement for Radiohead, but in a completely different fashion. And we can get into that here in a second, shall we? Let's move forward. So coming off of the high that they had on Oak and Computer, Tom York was fed up with just about everything. The fans, the fame, the songwriting process, everything that came with it, he was done with alternative rock in general. And it became increasingly, or at least it seemed to become more increasingly likely that Radiohead would disband, just to reiterate. They didn't do that. What basically ended up happening is they reclused into a mansion in somewhere in um, Britain, I think. Do you have more? I guess you probably have more details on no, this. No, I'm I just can- saying that I, I said earlier that one of the things that they were going to do with with having notoriety and having money is get away from mainstream norms of recording in a normal studio. And one of the ways that they did this is that they started recording in apartments. They started recording in houses. They started recording in places that were not traditional studios because they just wanted to get out of the way of you know being limited to that in, in a way. They wanted to expand their boundaries. And one of the ways that they did that was the environments that they were in. And a lot of times the environments that they were in and things that they were around influenced the music that came out of it itself. And also, they didn't have all of the resources in the world, so they made they made half of the things. Like I didn't say it, but on the last on the last project, OK Computer, Tom York spent I think it was like a couple of nights in a row frustrated and just working with this stupid computer to try and make it sound like a computer but sound like a person. And it ended up being perfect because the like it, it didn't get the embellishments and everything correct that you know the way a computer would. And he was so pissed about this, and he just spent nights doing it and doing it and trying. He was trying to get it to sound kind of like Stephen Hawking in a way, and you know just trying to get this. And I watched him talk about this in interviews and just spent nights frustrated and and doing this. And it was part of the thing. He was probably in an apartment sitting where, sitting at a computer, sitting at these, you know, whatever the hell he was using. And he didn't have all of the the equipment in the world, even though he 
could have, but they were doing it the Radiohead way. But it's very much them in doing so. It's not like any anyone else that was in a studio, you know? They basically reclused in a mansion somewhere in Britain. And Tom York, again, was fed up even with the songwriting process. And he basically sat the band down. All of the members wanted to go in different directions. And they were the, the possibilities were basically endless for them because they had reached such critical acclaim and international notoriety that they could do basically anything that they wanted, at least in, at least in the alternative rock form. All the bandmates wanted to do something different, but Tom York, being the creative frontman that he was, wanted to veer away from everything that they had been doing previously and start anew, basically. He basically deconstructed the songwriting process and started from scratch, and he basically said he didn't want any guitarists on the project, which was huge because Radiohead has two guitarists, three guitarists. Including the bassist, yeah. Number one, some eyebrows were raised at that point, because what the fuck are you thinking? We don't play anything but guitar. That's most of the band. Yeah, really. And he didn't want conventional drums on the project either a lot of the times, he said. Which, again, turned some heads, raised some eyebrows, and it caused tension in the band. But what he did want was he wanted to use more of the electronic instrumentation. One of his biggest, uh, I think, one of his biggest influences in that area was... IDM, specifically Aphex Twin, um, what he was doing in the 90s, late 80s, uh, with experimental electronic music, uh, creating intelligent dance music. Um, they were, he was extremely fascinated by that and he wanted to, um, expand more upon that basically. And he, well, what they basically ended up doing was fusing rock with the electronic experimentation, but they started by, um, <laughs> by reading the manuals to the, uh, electronic instruments that they had with them, like the Moogs and stuff like that, all the electronic synthesizers and keyboards, all of that shit, and they recorded everything in his right place uh, entirely on, I can't remember what the, the name of the keyboard was, but it was... It was all done by manipulation with the sounds in the actual synth and some of Tom York's vocal processing and stuff like that. And they basically knew it was going to be the first song on the project from the time that they created it. Um, But another thing they did was they separated the members of the band at different parts of the mansion and they would basically come up with ideas on their own and then they would reconvene at a later point. They'd come back together and they'd present the ideas that they had been given and they'd try to piece them together. Which again, really, really weird and strange way of going about it. One of the other things that I thought was super interesting is Tom York basically wrote down a bunch of phrases on a piece of paper and pulled them out of a hat, and that's how he made the lyrics for the album, which again, super fucking interesting and kind of questionable at the time as well. But over the process, uh, the recording sessions... They were pretty much out of ideas. They were all creatively bankrupt and they were all tired and they all wanted out. And that was when that was that was when everything in its right place sort of spawned and they were they were able to regain their footing. And they ended up recording enough for two albums and they considered releasing a double album. But that would later become amnesiac. And I'm going to quote sort of a, a YouTube channel. I watched I, I watched a video on this. The guy's the guy's handle is middle eight. Um, and he said the kid a was the greatest left turn in music history. And I don't know about music history, but in rock music, yes, like it is, it is up there because as soon as Kid A was released, the divide was massive uh, between critics and fans. Nobody could tell what the hell was going on. All of the people who were listening to electronic music at the point, at that point, basically said that they were watering down the sound and trying to uh, fuse it in ways that didn't make sense with rock music, while people who 
mainly listened to alternative rock, thought it was the greatest thing that they ever heard, and that they invented these sounds and stuff like that. While Radiohead didn't really invent these sounds, they did fuse them in with rock music and ambient music and jazz and kraut rock, all that shit, in a way that nobody else had done before. And Kid A ended up being one of the most experimental albums of the 2000s. Very, very few people have come close or even tried to accomplish what they did with this album. Because, again, this was a complete 180 from their previous sound. And they almost succeeded with the whole no guitars or anything like that. There are some processed guitars on this album. There is some bass. Um, It doesn't stray completely away from alternative rock, but... It does a pretty fucking good job of it at the same time. And everything in its right place, the very first track on here is a very, very good example of that. With all of the vocal manipulations in the background, with Tom's voice sounding almost robotic and kind of pitched back and forth along with um, it being reversed and then re-reversed uh, in the background. Um, with uh, Tom's lyrics being very, very obscure, with everything in its right place being the mantra of the song. He goes into the first verse, which is basically just him repeating the phrase, Yesterday I woke up sucking a lemon <laughs> again i lyrics pulled out of a hat and um this sort of stands as a testament to i i'm gonna quote the same youtube channel again because i believe he said that kid a was what tom york thought the first ai would be called and he said if kid a is the character that this album is based around and is an ai then the music and the album itself is the environment that kid a grows up in and I think that that's a very, very good way of putting it. Because when I when I hear this album, it's colorful in a way, but it, and I mean it, it's full of personality and it's it's full of wonderful ideas. But it almost seems like it's devoid of life. It almost seems like it's devoid of color. Like it's gray, 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 and it is a very somber and very, very kind of dystopian vibe and environment that this album creates it's super it's unlike anything i've ever heard up to this point it's just it's wild to me honestly this album is just insane (laughs) it's insane i don't even know where to start for good reason i i've always believed radiohead possesses really incomprehensible creative ability and the evidence, it just becomes more and more clear with, with each album, really. This is an album which completely obliterates how albums in general and how Radiohead um, present themselves and how, how they would be considered in music. Like, this just changed everything, like Ian said. And the, it tore the, the everything YouTuber down and it said, built back up. This is a left turn. This is This is not... This is this had not been done before. After this release, there was there was no going back. Even the heralded OK Computer had been nudged down a spot in the ranking system of of critics and most fans. And OK Computer is still considered to be one of the greatest albums of all time. So is Kid A. Kid, Kid A is- and OK Computer are massively popular among the music industry and it's always it's even with time it's been proven to be massive kid a is frequently heralded as the greatest album that the two hot thousands had to offer so many outlets rolling stones pitchfork all those fucking critics hold this album to such a level for the 2000s that is almost unbelievable it's almost like they're holding up on on a pedestal that no one else can touch 
Radiohead is just this god of music. That and I mean, I can almost see why because this album is so unbelievably freakishly unexpected, especially from a band of Radiohead stature um, and the preconceptions that people had had for where they would be moving forward. Completely obliterated, gone, and this album is what they got. Some people were pissed. Some people were not happy with this album, and I, for the time, I guess I can see why, but with, with the aging of this album, it's become more and more clear how essential this album is to music history, the songwriting process, how artists go about um, doing their songwriting, um, and what's possible with rock music in general. If you take this album out of the equation, you take a lot of other albums out of the equation. You take an entire snowball effect just like it never happened. Like this album paved the way for so much of the 2000s. I want to quote Anthony Fantano, our boy over there at the Needle Drop. He said, comparing this album to other albums in its category is like comparing an aquarium to blue construction paper. (laughs) And he could not have, I I can't say it any better. I had to do it word for word the way he did. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You, you are correct. There is, there is no comparing this to other things in its category. This is the catalyst for all of those. This is, this is the one. And it's not because it's, it has jazz or fusion or ambience or electronics or, you know, classifications. Don't, don't come to mind when you're deep inside of this hypnotic world. It's truly another world, another soundscape. It's an emotional, psychological experience, and it's not like anything else. I, I will keep saying that it's not like anything else. Kid A sounds like a clouded brain trying to recall an alien abduction. That's what it is. It's the sound of a band and its leader losing faith in themselves, destroying themselves, and subsequently trying to perfect perfect an entity. Tom York is a brilliant, brilliant person. And throughout the entire discography of Radiohead, alienation is a theme that we're just going to keep coming back to because it's it's so prominent in so many of their projects. Um, but in other words, Radiohead hated being Radiohead and... They redefined Radiohead, basically. Exactly. They, they Despite that, they put out the most natural Radiohead album to date at that point. The song Everything in Its Right Place opens like Close Encounter spaceships communicating with a pipe organ. It's freaking ridiculous. I have it pulled up here, actually, and Everything in Its Right Place was recorded entirely on a Prophet 5 synthesizer uh, and using the scrubbing tool in Pro Tools on their fucking laptop. And that is how Everything in Its Right Place came to be. And that was, that was the snowball effect, the catalyst for this album that got everything started and the recording sessions, they just pumped out material. So Song after song after song after song. It was nonstop because they were so inspired by these electronic elements that they were toying with at the time. And it was all new to them. And it was fun for them as well. It brought the joy back into songwriting because it was unexplored territory. And I truly think that's one of the main factors in what makes this album so great. It's so exploratory. And it's almost like you can feel the band exploring with you the music that they're creating. And it's a feeling that I don't really get from much listening to music. It's it's really one of a kind in a way. There are multiple moments on this where I was tr- my ears and my brain were trying to decipher whether the tones are coming or going. 
there's so many huh. moments where I'm like, like what, what is entering and what am I processing? Cause there's just so much going on. And that's one of these songs and then everything. So as my ears were trying to decipher whether the tones were coming or going, York starts belting everything in uplifting size. And it's just, it's the perfect combination of all of these things melding together. The first person mantra of there are two colors in my head is repeated until the line is repeated until the line between York's mind and the listener's mind is just completely wiped out, erased. It's an experience. You just, you have to experience it. The track, um, it shows a heavy warp influence. The lullaby lulls you deceivingly before the, the righteous national anthem. There's mean, fuzzy bass shapes and there's an unnerving theremin. They use the theremin on their album. When is that used besides for like eerie ghost movies? And they put it in their music as if it was a normal thing to do. Idiotech is track eight and is also one of the most prominent uses. Places where they most draw from IDM, especially in the beat and the drums. All of the all of the beat machines and the, the programmed drums sound, again, so cold and icy and devoid of life. It sounds robotic uh, and it's meant to sound that way. And I truly think that that's the atmosphere that they were going for. This album is so much less about the lyrics and so much more about the feeling that the music and the words, the word choices that he has give off. It's not so much about a deeper meaning beneath it all. It's about letting it envelop you and finding the meaning for yourself. And there's something really, really special about that, I think, too. So while all of that's going on, there's loud brass bursts coming from all directions. And it's just in, it's indescribable. The horns swarm around you and York is just screaming and begging, turn it off, turn it off. It is like it's it's insane. I think I think that around this around this point. I think it's the album's peak. It's one of the most like memorable parts across the project and it gave me goosebumps the first time I listened to it and it still does now when I go back and listen to it. And f- if music gives you goosebumps, then it's doing something yeah. right. That's that's insane. But I, I think that's one of the most hair-raising moments in, yeah. the, in the band's this is, career, for this sure. Is track three, the national anthem. The Charles Mingus jazz breakdown at the end of the track with the melting horn section is unbelievable and it is jarring and for somebody who hasn't experienced that yet, um, is it's it's eye-widening. In a way, and it really, it sets a tone. It's it's just incredible. As well as the processed vocals on Kid A and the icy synth leads that they picked. Kind of the chimey, higher register synth leads set such a eerie, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful song, but it's so eerie and it's so, it seems so full yet empty of any... And I think that was actually one of the points that Tom York was trying to uh, accomplish. He was trying to pull out human emotion from the tracks. But in doing that, he made it pulling the emotion out of it. The emotionless causes emotion within you, the listener. I, 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 to this day, I can't really understand why. I can't understand what it does to accomplish that other than it's just such a great piece of work. It's it's incredible. I don't, and I don't think this is necessarily like the perfect album. I don't think this is like the standard or anything like that, but it's, it's so forward thinking. And the, the, the ideas displayed on this album have never, had never ever even, they've, they'd never been explored or anything. And it is such a, 
a landmark for music in general. Um, and it's also worth mentioning that even though they strayed further and further from rock music in general, that the rock is not completely gone. The national anthem with its grimy bassline, the grimy ass fucking bassline at the beginning is punk as shit, as well as some of the guitars on Optimistic sound kind of again kraut rock it a little bit uh a little bit campy but it's fantastic and the song is written fantastically morning bell is gorgeous morning bell is just a wonderful wonderful icy song uh motion picture soundtrack brings in some of those arranged strings brings in some influences from classical music uh more modern classical music more 20th century classical music but classical music nonetheless as well as untitled the final ending sentiment which is like 47 seconds long but you know what who in the fuck cares like this album is still being deciphered to this day and i i can see why there are so many layers and there's so much happening in 11 tracks in 47 minutes that it's hard to even conceive how in the fuck i mean it's laid out before us this is not new and i mean tom york has gone into great detail in interviews and stuff like that about his process and stuff but even though it's right in front of me i still can't process it doesn't fucking compute and oh this is the same issue we had when we, when we were reviewing anima it's like you you can try and talk about it but you really can't even begin to process everything that's going on and everything that surrounds you and it's just it's a world in itself yeah it, it definitely is a world <laughs> after that's for so sure. after the the rockets exhaust on this the highs of of this album there there's a section on on the record where they're kind of floating around in, in orbit a little bit and from here you see you start to see the major shift in the music starting with uh tree fingers and it's an ambient soundscape and it's similar to the intent of I was trying to I was trying to compare this to something so that I could contrast it and, and give whoever's listening right now an idea of like similarities. And it's kind of like the side B of Bowie and Eno's Project Low. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really can... got like those vibes, but if you you're Brian Eno in general. Because yes. Brian Eno was a pioneer in ambient music and that they definitely took from that. Ambience was a big thing on this album. And I don't know how we haven't mentioned that yet, but there's just been so much that we need to talk about. And ambience is a huge part of this album. This starts to calm everything after the record's really emotionally strenuous first half. All of Radiohead's songs take you through such a journey and they always start one way and they don't always end in that same train of thought. They kind of evolve through the track. It's ridiculous. For an album that was... Uh, I've, I've, read, I've read things that said that reportedly that it was lacking in Radiohead moments which I don't really agree with. This is huh? this is the best summation of their their former strengths that they had shown on on previous albums. The songwriting ability is still there. Tom York's singing ability is still there. The emotion is still there. Everything is still there. It's just packaged completely different. Yes. There is a completely different musical context and there is a completely different mindset going into this album. The way it was formed is different. And that's what makes it fucking special. The experience and emotions tied to listening to Kid A are just something you have to experience for yourself. There's nothing that I could say that is going to make you feel the way that the album will make you feel. It's noisy, but it's tranquil. It's 
experimental, but it's still in many ways familiar. It's spacious, but it's visceral. It's infinite, and it's only 48 minutes long. This album is ridiculous. It's awakening, but it's it's also kind and kind of a dream. This album is not like any really any of the other Radiohead projects or any other project alike. It stands alone in so many fashions. Who are you, William fucking Shakespeare? What kind of fucking spiel was that? Yes, I am. God, I'm gonna. What the? What? 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 I'm witnessing a great poet fucking spill his monologue. I'm just going to sit back. Go ahead. (laughs) The sounds across this project hit you from unseen angles, places that you are not expecting them to come from. It being Radiohead, they come from those places. And often they're expressing inhuman expressions. When you take the headphones off after your first listen and it occurs to you that five men created this it's entirely possible that radiohead is the the greatest band ever it, it's just it's it's an unforgettable experience the first time that i listened to kid a i was like well this is the greatest thing i've ever heard this <laughs> is the greatest thing i will ever hear and you can't wait to dive back into the album and prove that wrong. And you never do. You never jump back in. And like, it's one of those where you look, you go back in and you look for problems. And there's, it's so few and so far in between. It's so just, it don't even like bother. Just enjoy the experience. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And I've tried to do that before. Now I'm trying to do that with Black Mitty Schlagenheim. I'm like, there's got to be something wrong. <laughs> There has to be a problem somewhere. You could do the same thing with this. It's just like, uh, don't, yeah, don't bother. Who in the hell cares? It's incredible. Go and fucking listen to it. And this isn't really far off from the next album either. They release the album Amnesia a year after Kid A. And it is recorded in the same sessions. Again, they were going to release a double album. This was going to be a double album. They said, they decided that it would be, um, it would be too jam-packed and too kind of overwhelming and shit so they broke it up into two different releases um and honestly that's probably a better a better decision monetary wise um not even monetary wise i think they they just for a listener experience i think that they made the right call yeah, on that absolutely. i wouldn't i, I wouldn't I want to listen to these combined i'm very glad that they are right. their own thing so this next this next album talking about this next album isn't gonna be too different i mean this is a definitely a different project i can kind of see why the tracks uh that they decided to pull from this record weren't featured on this record but we'll get into that i mean it's it's the same atmosphere it's the same sort of mindset and it's still very cerebral like kid a was but again 2000s kid a will lead us into 2001's amnesia and i think that's a pretty good jumping point kid a in summation is incredible and you should go and fucking listen to it along with OK Computer because they are two of the most essential albums in anyone's listening experience catalog period end of sentence let's just move on next is Amnesia Now, Amnesiac. This is kind of heralded to be the second Kid A by a lot of critics and fans. This is widely considered... It's not considered to be as good as Kid A, but it's up there in the Radiohead discography for people. A lot of these songs are fantastic. A lot of these songs are fucking great. And again, they play in the same territory that Kid A 
kind of existed in. They're they're sharing the same sort of space and mindset, uh, like we said before. Um, but this album is different in a couple of different ways. Uh, it plays with sort of the same genres and uh, the same ideas that Kid A does, but there's there's some tracks on here that definitely are seem different and they seem uh, they seem I don't know more divergent from the usual Radiohead kind of spiel. I don't know. I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is some of these songs here feel kind of off the mark to me. Some of them are more IDM inspired, which I have no problem with. And some of these songs, are, again, are super interesting, but some of these songs feel a little bit unfinished to me. They feel like they're meandering a little bit more than Kid A was and a little bit less of a cohesive experience than Kid A was. And I think that that was sort of the point of pulling these tracks out and putting it on a second album so that people could hear it. This is less of an experience than Kid A is and it's more of leftovers. Um, And they're still good. It's just not the second Kid A to me anyway. You can go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, Kid A is one one of one of a kind one of Radiohead's uh, defining achievements, in especially in their discography, but across music in general, the whole industry changed. Left hook, gone. Total departure from the conventional rock formats of The Benz and OK Computer. Kid A drew from a more abstract and obscure influences and Obtuse. experiments. It was all over the place. And cohesive at the same time. It was brilliant. Whether you like the end result or not, you have to acknowledge and give them props for having the balls to go against industry standard and to do their own thing and really make a near perfect album. I would say Kid A is a near perfect album. It's an experience. It's spoiler alert. I think I really feel like this album is kind of the B-sides to Kid A and it's the reason that they didn't put them on there and there's nothing wrong with putting it out and some of the songs I, on here are actually like essential in the radiohead discography correct. in my opinion knives out is fantastic life in a glass house is unparalleled uh it's one of the best closers to any radiohead album period pyramid song is fantastic songs like those are just fan-fucking-tastic same with like Splin- spinning plates it's great it's fantastic but some of the material on here just does not feel as cohesive and as finished and as finely tuned as Kid A, or as emotionally provocative, honestly. Polk, Pull Revolving Doors, feels like the same loop over and over and over and over again to me. And there are moments on here that that are like that for me. Track 9, Hunting Bears, feels like an extended Tool intro to me. It sounds like the beginning riff to a Tool song, and it does that for like two minutes. And that's it. There's some weird instrumental divergencies on this album that don't make any sense to me. And what that's kind of what causes it to not be... This isn't like the follow-up to Kid A or anything. Like Tyler said, this is like the B-sides. This is this is the aftermath. This is the outtakes. But they don't quite acknowledge it as being B-sides. They put this out as a second, uh, another album. Yeah, full release. Full release. That is correct. And like money-wise, that makes sense. But... Going into a few details here, this clanging percussion, it sounds like abandoned swing sets. It sounds incredible. And I don't, I can't really think of many examples of this in my music catalog besides this. Like Radiohead certainly has this area covered. I, I can't think of many things that are quite like it. The keyboards 
they hum and they resonate so much and just the tones across this i i think are are fantastic like ian said the guitars are pretty much marked absent across this project and it is so odd for a band that has three guitarists i don't what do you even say about that tom york i mean again this was recorded in the same sessions as kid a they had been sitting on this for a year and they put it out in album form this is the same this is the same sessions i bet that they had those conversations where they're sitting there and they're like so what do we do (laughs) we have all these songs they're probably starting to record more like what well we gotta put it out put that shove Shove it it out there shove, shove it out there Production-wise, a lot of this would have nestled cozily alongside Kid A. Some of it. I and can see why that they trimmed I, it down the way honestly, they did. Honestly, I think that this is, like, in it's in some ways, it's stranger than Kid A. And still, there are still moments that have, like, infectious melodies. There are still really moments on it that are accessible I I think that this album is only stranger than Kid A in the fact that it's not as good and uh, there are just more questionable decisions on this album. Like, Morning Bell slash Amnesiac. Track 7 is like kind of like a glorified Morning Bell remix and it didn't need to happen. Like, the original version is infinitely superior and you couldn't tell me otherwise at this point like it's it was just unneeded why why would you why would you need it It, just make a song called amnesiac don't mess with what is already a fantastic track in morning bell going against the grain is really radiohead's normal it going against the grain is their norm that's what they that's what they do and I miss, i miss all of the synths and there there's a lot of like ian said twisted metal that can almost reflect the likes of tool um and and bands like that tom york casually insists across one i don't remember which track it was that he's a reasonable but he's a reasonable man and he politely delivers the album's most quoted lyric which is get off my case and radiohead has this tendency tom york has this tendency to repeat a sort of mantra and expand upon that and go deeper into that lyrically and it's it's like one of these it's one of these things that he's just developed over and over and kept building up album after album and eventually man when we when we reach 2016 this is going to be very prominent because he gets good at using his voice is what yeah. I'm trying to say the- and even though this album doesn't stand it with it doesn't stand in my opinion it doesn't stand up there with the likes of OK Computer and yeah K. it doesn't stand as tall as that he's. You can still see the process of learning and developing and honing a craft. And you see that on this. There's some highlights like this that are just, they're good. Yeah. And again, the lyrical, um, one of the lyrical techniques that he uses is he'll repeat a phrase over and over and over again. And sort of with a swell of instrumentation, it takes on more and more meaning until it reaches this climax and an oh shit moment. And then it'll the song will fade out and it it kind of will leave you in shock. And again, that is a technique that they will use over and over again and it works. Especially for them, they have got it down pat. And I mean they were toying with it on both Kid A and this album. This album I don't think they used it as successfully as Kid A. Again, and every like songs like everything in its right place. Uh it feels like it reaches a pinnacle of meaning without actually meaning anything. And I think that that is a f- fantastic and wonderful and really confusing 
element that they employ in their music, and it's, I don't know, it's it's kind of mind-boggling to me. Any and all traditional Radiohead fans will take an immediate liking to the very okay computer-ish track, Dollars and Cents. The lyrical content is strikingly similar to the anti-government and anti-corporate themes that were expressed on the previous 1977 project. Um, Yeah, on tracks like electioneering and things of that nature. This song also loses points for containing the line, shove it in your mouth. Uh, Really, Tom? (laughs) (laughs) I, I hope that was one of the papers you drew out of the hat, because what... Um, if nothing else, Radiohead has always realized the emotional impact of a stunning album closer and Amnesiac offers two, two of these. Okay. Sitting side by side, the tracks like spinning plates and the track life in a greenhouse are so that glass house are so vastly superior to the album's other tracks that the album's few missteps missteps are almost forgiven are exactly basically forgiven because Because these are so just life in a glass house is unbelievable it is basically a jazz song and it reaches a peak at the end that is so non-temporal that it 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 blows me away and just the way that they implemented jazz on this track is almost incomprehensible to me because it sounds it sounds transcendental of time because it sounds like it could have i mean this is 2001 but it sounds like it kind of could have either come from the late 1800s uh just with better recording or the early 50s or something like that but no it's 2001 and it's incredible though the the way that they introduced a song like this at the end and it works so well spinning plates while a probably a much better fit for kid a is nonetheless one of Radiohead's most affecting tracks to date. It start. It opens with a digitally sim- simulated uh, spinning sound and a disorienting reversed keyboard, and it has like these subtle keyboard pings. I can't. I don't know how to describe it. You'd have to listen. But the song hits its peak when York's indecipherable vocals. Are, which are which are in in reverse they I recorded played, them backwards i then played forward during the like mournful climax of the song and it, and he and to quote it goes and this just feels like spinning plates my body's floating down a muddy river and all of this has been playing on repeat in reverse and then at the climax it all goes forward and it's played and you hear what he's saying and it's like <gasps> yeah yeah. Rather than creating a unique Frankenstein amalgamation from fragments of other genres, Radiohead instead target a style of music that hasn't been touched in decades. Edison era big band. <laughs> Edison era big band. What? In the process of adapting to the archaic jazz sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Radiohead touches upon an incredibly unique sound. Especially that, for the time period. Yeah, that them doing this had the potential to start new genres in the 2000s. The way that they incorporated this into a Radiohead album? Ridiculous. With the quality aside, the questionable sequencing of Amnesiac 
does very little to fight the argument that the record is kind of it kind of is a b-side compilation kid a played out as a cohesive whole that evoked panic and paranoia as well as surrealism and disorientation but still amnesiac's highlights are undeniably worth a listen and are definitely necessary and important in the catalog of radiohead as a whole agreed this is so, not li- really a cohesive album listening experience like kid a was i don't think it's su- super really meant to be that uh and that's fine there are some great tracks on here there are some great takeaways and i would still say that this is essential like you said if you can if you can get through the listen and you, I think you'll be able to easily overcome its occasional patchiness. It's so worth it. It's rewarding. It's it's rewarding in the end. Now, moving from this album to the next one, uh, there was a two-year gap between Amnesiac and Hail to the Thief. And Hail to the Thief is yet again another switch in the band's career. Moving away from the obscureness and obtuseness uh, that was Kid A, the Kid A era recordings, uh, they moved into more punchier rock-oriented songs again, uh, which a lot of fans were really, really happy to see. But Hail to the Thief really stands as an interesting point in the band's career and we can get into that in a second uh are are we ready do you have any other do you have any other okay that was 2001's amnesiac again give it a listen it's still worth your time uh and some people even say that it's almost reaching the point of kid a maybe you'll think that too maybe we're just a couple idiots sitting in chairs across from each other uh gently stroking each other off with our feet but (laughs) i don't know um again this is the uh bouncing point into Hail to the Thief era Radiohead. So let's talk about that, shall we? So Hail to the Thief uh, of 2003. By 2003, Radiohead, they were kind of trapped in a musical era that they helped create. They were kind of the driving force in creating. By that time, they had essentially completed the ideal life and cycle of a rock band rising from in a promising debut and They became one of the world's biggest bands. Um, They were the creators of two really like masterpieces um, that captured fear, exhaustion, alienation, um, anxiety of modern life in a near perfect musical setting. They, they, um, there's not really a rock record that did more to set the tone and establish like parameters of of music the music the way that kid a did um and it there they just time after time they started putting out international masterpieces and you know following amnesiac it was like where what are they gonna do like where are they gonna go but i guess you can kind of think that after every radiohead album because constantly they're just throwing left hooks like you don't really know what to expect and if god if radiohead puts out an album tomorrow i couldn't tell you what that's going to sound like there's no way that you would know and it's kind of it's kind of been one of these things where 
Tom York being the frontman, the leader, the spokesperson of the band, he, he there there are places in in Radiohead where you can listen and say, okay, well, you know, they they started to go electronic, they started to do this, they started to do that, and a lot of those themes, those thoughts, Tom York has taken into his solo practice his solo efforts and he's kind of gotten these these things off of his chest in many ways so with that being said it's kind of interesting to think where he where the band as a whole would go next because listening to even listening to 2016's albums and then listening to anima which came out 2019 listening to these things it's like okay well if they put an album 2020 what would that sound like is that going to sound like anima is that there's no way to know there's absolutely no way to know their headspace is ever changing always changing and it's it's just ridiculous moral of the story how do you follow that up how do you follow up kid a recordings how do you how how do you follow up i think that the first thing you need to do is not try and make a masterpiece yeah you don't want to try and yeah uh follow it up with some massive uh, huge statement or anything like that, or the record that Radiohead did make, "Hail to the Thief," is it's almost an anti masterpiece. It's and highly political. I don't. The this is one of Radiohead's most political albums, uh, as suggested by the cover of the album. Um, it doesn't take a, a genius to figure that out either, um, and. Like the cover suggests as well, this messy-ass, all-over-the-place cover, this is a messy-ass, all-over-the-place album. And I that is something that you kind of need to accept, because I think that going into this, that is what Radiohead was trying to create. This was created in the wake of the 2001 terrorist attacks on, um, on the World Trade Center, um, and sort of in response to the war on terror. Um, that is the mind space that this album was in. Um, and I think it was trying to capture the confusion and um, just the basically the mass hysteria and the worldwide clamor um, to shut down terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda and every, all of the, I don't know, all the terrorist groups that were you know what I mean. You know what I mean. I don't really have to fucking explain it. This is not... A, 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 it doesn't take a genius, okay? Um, and Hail to the Thief is Radiohead's response to all of this, basically. It's what we got. They basically started over. And yeah. on, on the record, the band sounds aware... In many ways, they sound as though they know that they've peaked. And... Perhaps they're less sure of where they even want to go. I know that they know the, the concept, the direction, all of that type of stuff. But as as like as a as a cohesive creative whole, it doesn't really sound like they know what they want to do. They've pushed their horizon so far already that they probably felt like they didn't have as much exploring around to do as they had, you know, previously had the opportunity to do working on earlier projects there's confusion and apprehension written all over the album even if you look at the track listing scatterbrain a wolf at the door sit down stand up two plus two equals five mixomatosis <laughs> they couldn't even decide what to call the songs or 
is that just Radiohead's genius? You can kind of interpret it whatever way you want, but to me, this album speaks scatterbrain. It is it is scatterbrain. I think that this is the answer to the obscureness that was Kid A. They more blatantly fuse rock and electronic music um, all over this thing. And um, for fans and critics alike, it has been a head-scratcher. Um, this is not this is not one of their more straightforward releases, and that is saying something, because uh, nothing about really Radiohead is straightforward ever. Um, and this is confusing for people. Um, and take it as you will, there's still some great stuff on this project, I think. I think there's some successful, um, fusions of the two genres. At 14 tracks and 56 minutes, Hail to the Thief is one of the longest Radiohead albums. If not the longest. I think that there's one that's 57 minutes. And it doesn't seem accidental that two-thirds of the way through lies a song called They're There, as if the band's like consoling itself and <laughs> recognizing that there, there are worse challenges than carrying forward a successful rock band. Um, they kind of acknowledge themselves in their headspace multiple times on this. It's, it's, I would say that this is a software project. They're There has one of the album's most ambiguous refrains in its just because you feel it doesn't mean it's their turnaround the band's headspace i can't even i can't even imagine what was going through their head how do you how do you follow up what they put out there mm, the band is constantly trying to outrun their their the success of their previous work and we see that starting with the song creep they put out creep and then immediately they're set with a standard that they, they have to constantly try and outrun. It, mm. Anyway, going back into going back into Hail of the Thief, um the drummer Phil Selway rarely plays a conventional rock beat anywhere on the album. Um, Radiohead's messing more and more with odd time signatures as, as well. They're still doing yeah. a lot of that sort of thing that they were doing and experimenting with on Kid A, kind of playing with the fundamentals of music, um, just as a, a, the, like the bare necessities of music, messing with the time signature to kind of shake things up. And they do that a lot on this album as well. Um, they also got into using kettle drums to give like a, like a distinctive like buoyancy to the album, which they hadn't really done in the past. And Colin Greenwood's bass part constitutes a second melody in a bunch of the songs. The, some of this is really kind of out there. It's one of the album's few vocals that could like reasonably be called and un, could reasonably be called understated. Tom York uses his full range uh, across the record to voice anger, defeat, um, affection, frustration, and longing. Lots of frustration and anger. A lot of yeah, I, yeah. Talk about understatement. He's a fantastic singer in general, as we've already covered. But his real strength is in the way he can latch onto a simple phrase like over my dead body and twist and pull at it to mean what he wants to and to embellish and, and inflict in 
the ways that he sees fit. There aren't many musicians who can can do that. But when they get stuck on a phrase and God, that that is some of Radiohead's most memorable moments are just in those in themselves. Um, I thought that his most memorable performance uh, on the album was with the really I thought it was a breathtaking closer, Wolf at the Door, where he balances a frantically paced paranoid verse with a towering chorus absolutely absurd songwriting this is one of this is one of radiohead's best closures to an album it's so good absolutely 100 it's on songs like this where you realize that this album more than any of their lps um as meant as much or or more than many of their lps um, it simply lets you concentrate on what a good band radio is, Radiohead is um, without distracting you with thematic concerns, innovation that they were trying to do in the industry, or maybe they weren't trying to do, who even knows at this point, and attempts to force a bend in the band's creative arc. This is one of the moments where you can just sit back and kind of enjoy it and process it and understand it. And it is incredible. Head of the Thief has a few low points. Um, and honestly, I feel like a lot of it could be edited to make it more digestible. And, and yeah, again, this is 14, 14 tracks, 56 minutes. Some of the stuff did not need to be on here. This could have, the, the fat could have been trimmed. But the statement was trying to be made. Maybe they did make it. Who knows? I wasn't really conscious for this. But even the lowest points have their considerable merits to the point where it even like makes me wonder whether Radiohead can make a bad album because this is, in my opinion, the closest thing we've gotten to it, and this isn't bad. Ian yeah. might disagree with that. No, I'm well. I mean, there there are certainly some songs on here that I would say are questionable. I'm also going to quote Anthony Fantano here as well. Um, when he was talking about the song Sit Down Stand Up. Now, this is a fine song, especially in the first half, but then it comes to this really, really like, it's like a breakbeat section in the second half. Um, and he calls it, um, the, the way that he puts it, I think, was, uh, and this stands to be one of the most questionable decisions uh, that Radiohead's really ever made in their entire career. Or one of the most genius. Depends on the day and how I'm feeling. And I think that can be said not only for this track, but for a lot of the tracks here. Sometimes, some days I'm like, wow, this is fucking great. This is fucking fantastic. And other days I'm sitting there scratching my head like, what in the Sam hell are they thinking? What? Um, and to this day, this album still confuses me as a listener. Uh, because I still can't tell what I feel about this album. And maybe that's the confusion that they were trying to cause. And if so, then you're a fucking genius, Tom York. Um, but if not, then I don't fucking know. Like, there's just so many things about this album that I don't... I have no clue what the hell they were trying to do. Um, and that takes away a little bit from it. But that doesn't change the fact that they're... Some of the best material that Radiohead's like ever put out shows up here. Uh, we suck young blood is probably one of the most direct. Like you can tell from the title what they're trying to say. You know, um, speaking from sort of a higher power, trying to say that they're leeching off of the the youth. Um, but 
this is a very downtrodden song with very somber piano chords and um, it's just fantastic. It's a fantastic ballad in the track list. Two plus two equals fives. Wow. Two plus two equals five. Um, stands to be one of the most explosive and direct moments since either OK Computer or The Bends with songs like Electioneering or Iron Lung. Um, it is fantastic. It is one of the most explosive openers that the band has ever delivered in their career period. And it is just amazing. Uh, from the first part of this track that's set in 5-5, five, five, or 5-4, five, um, which then moves into this giant wall of exploding guitars, and um, Tom York screaming that he might not be paying attention, um, and uh, just the multiple phases that this track goes through is so seamless that it blows my mind to this day. It's fan-fucking-tastic. Uh, Where I End and You Begin, again, another fantastically written track on this album. Um, uh, as well as They're There, um, although it is kind of wishy-washy, kind of, <laughs> I'm gonna call it that, it's still a f- fine tune, I think. A Punch-Up at a Wedding, I think, is fantastic as well. Uh, with the piano chords and kind of the um, the the political messaging of the track as well, um, just saying how the government and higher powers like to butt in at the worst of times, uh, a lot of times for a lot of people, um, and it's set over kind of like a piano rock sort of track. Uh, this is kind of difficult to pin down again, but uh, it's, again, a fantastic track. As well as number 14, A Wolf at the Door, is just a great closer to the album, and it's a great sentiment, and it's very well-conceived and a very well-written track. And I go track by track here in the stuff that I like, because um, this album is so, again, scatterbrained um, that it's hard to pin down uh, an overall thought on it. Um, and again, that kind of takes away from it for me. Uh, there are still songs on here that I'll probably go back to and someday find out whether I definitively like them or not. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'll just switch back and forth between it, but hey, maybe that's part of the beauty of listening to this album. I could probably return to this and still not know what to think about it 50 years later. Like, (laughs) part of me kind of hopes that's the way it is too. Um, but anyway... Oh, you're good? Oh, sick. Sorry. Um, so from here, 2003, um, this is the last album that they recorded with their label. Um, and moving forward from here, the band could probably do anything. Um, they left a four-year gap between... They left a four-year gap between this album... Hell to the Thief, and their next album. And, again, fans and critics alike didn't know what to expect. There was really no telling what to expect. Especially from a band like Radiohead. And they could have done anything. Uh, and they disconnected with their label. And this was, again, sort of a tumultuous time for Radiohead. Another time where um, a split-up seemed likely... Um, because they didn't know where to go. And maybe it should have been telling, because history repeats itself, that uh, because of this tumult um, and constant irritation, like, uh, um, what is it, a clam with a pearl or whatever, 
a gem would be unveiled at the end uh, through this constant irritation. And um, this album, 2003's Hail to the Thief, is the springboard for which Radiohead launched itself into 2007's free album In Rainbows. And let's talk about In Rainbows. Like I mentioned, In Rainbows, 2007 In Rainbows, is Radiohead's first free album. Disconnecting from their label basically gave the band complete creative freedom, and it gave them free reign to do whatever they want. Um, I just said the same thing twice, because I'm trying to set myself up for um, what is the monstrosity that is going to be this next section. Um, and this is sort of a weird time in the band's career as well. A lot of the bandmates, be, um, their decision to split off from their label came from a lot of the bandmates' other personal lives and their personal exploits. Some of them were having kids and starting families. Excuse me. God damn. And they didn't want to be tied down by um, a, a label, kind of a contractual agreement or anything like that. Um, and they successfully did that, but again, the band's fate was uncertain at this point. Um, and the recording sessions for In Rainbows were very, very strange and very, very long and winding. I think they started in, like, 2005, 2006, um, but the end result is a 10-track, uh, 42-minute-long fucking masterpiece. And I um, I have absolutely no problem saying this is the band's most underrated album. Um, this this is as close to musical perfection as I've ever heard in my life. Um, and I'm not saying that in exaggeration or anything either. I I mean with feeling that this is one of the best albums I have ever heard. Um, and uh, I am so thankful that this happened. Um, but they're the free reign, um, that they decided to do with this album, um, the, or that they used the fullest extent, uh, when recording this album, um, Tom York had the crazy fucking idea of releasing it for free on the internet for download. And it is the first pay what you want to album that like was ever released. And in the internet age, this album set the stage for a lot of streaming platforms and what would become of them and how they would operate, honestly. Um, and there are very few albums that are influential in that way, but Radiohead somehow did it. Um, and <sighs> everyone thought they were crazy, from their producers to the artist who does their artwork for the album to some of the bandmates. Uh, and it took long hours into the night to convince people and close relatives um, that this wasn't a fucking crazy idea and it wouldn't bankrupt them. And it didn't. It was one of the most profitable exploits that Radiohead ever took part in. Uh, I think they made $3 million in, like, what? 
the first couple of weeks, which is outrageous. Um, and I mean, this was just, they released it on their website as an MP3 and you could download it for free and you just typed into a box what you wanted to pay for the album. They made massive amounts of money and this album was released to wide critical acclaim, but in my opinion, it wasn't released to enough of it. This is, um, the album that we were talking about, um, earlier, what was it? Positive was the word. This is as close to as we came to that album um, when they were in discussion with OK Computer. This is one of the warmest and most inviting things Radio had ever put out um, while simultaneously being one of the most melancholy and somber. Um, and it is one of the most beautiful contrasts in any album I've ever heard. It is one of Radiohead's most simple albums. Um, in some ways, I mean, some of the instrumentation and the, the choices that they made with it kind of being a little bit more minimal, uh, a little bit less cerebral and extraterrestrial than Kid A and not being as, um, layered and lush or not lush, but, um, layered and produced and finely detailed as, um, okay computer. But the thing is, it doesn't need to be because it finds power in its simplicity. And I think it is one of the greatest albums to ever have achieved um, that sort of vibe. Um, and God, God damn, is it beautiful. Um, there... Oh, Christ. You know what? I'm going to let you take it. Go ahead. You did a good job. I don't know how to top that. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh... Thank you. Written in Radiohead's discography, excluding the conjoined twins that were Kid A and Amnesiac, each of Radiohead's albums constituted a really, I don't want to say heroic, but a heroic effort to try and debunk the one that came before it. Although 2003's Hail to the Thief was like overlong and scatterbrain and scattershot even, it was important insofar as it represented the band's full circle digestion and synthesis of the sounds and methods that they first toyed with on OK Computer. So after a, a decade of progression, where do you go from there, right? They put out a 2006 live rendition album of their material um, and they actually included 15 new tracks that had not been put out in album form yet. And if those were anything to go by, the the, impl- the indications were that they were not going to go much further. They were pretty bad. They were they were pretty bad. Um, Can I also say that this is sort of another history repeats itself kind of thing in that they recorded enough material to release a double album again? Uh, but they decided against it, and they kind of put out another B-Sides thing, uh, and they called it In Rainbow's Side 2, I think. They marketed this much more. It's only seven tracks. It's a lot shorter than um, Amnesiac was, and they kind of marketed this one correctly as sort of an offshoot from In Rainbow. So I would I would say that they handled that much better than even the Kid Air did. With few exceptions, the roughly 15 songs introduced 
during the the previous tour um, gave the impression that after five searching records, Radiohead had grown tired of trying to outrun the praise of their prior work. As I said before, prior to release, their album In Rainbows was highly suspect of being a significant downshift in the band's discography. The brilliance in In Rainbows represents the opposite, the absolute opposite. Um, it's a very, very different Radiohead record than we had experienced before. It was liberated from their self-imposed pressure to innovate because they didn't have a label that was forcing them to. They did this at their own pace, at their, in their own way, and <clears throat> with their own sound. And it for feels the first like- time in ages, freaking ages, their music became a little bit user-friendly. It was more digestible, it was more accessible, and it is as close to immaculate as you can get. It feels like Kid A's spiritual sister album, kind of. Like, the polar opposite. I've never thought of that, but yeah. The polar opposite. The sister, the kind of yin and yang. Um, it's, It's the yin to Kid A's yang, basically. Two completely polar opposites, two completely different mindsets. Um, but both equally as impressive. And I would say that this album is the, I mean, at least in my own humble opinion, the track listing here is so watertight and it flows so well, um, that, oh my God, it's, uh, it is one of my favorite Radiohead albums, and I mean, we'll talk about the tier list later, but goddamn do I love this album. And I've listened to it. This has been one of the biggest staples in my music listening catalog ever. Whenever I don't know what to fucking listen to, it's just, uh, well, time to listen to in rainbows, and it never gets old. Ever. All of the tracks here are just fantastic. Radiohead's sudden willingness to embrace their capacity for uncomplicated beauty is probably in Rainbow's most distinguishing quality. And it's one of the reasons that it's an improvement over Hail to the Thief in in general. In every facet and form, basically. Absolutely. At this point, Tom York had kickstarted a solo career. He was providing a separate revenue for solo like electronic music um that he was previously dabbling into on on radiohead albums in rainbow seems um it becomes resolutely a five-man show this this is the point where they come back as a cohesive whole with their own parts individually and yet still cohesive at the same time for all of york's lonely experimental pieces it's easy to forget how remarkably the the band play off of each other and we get back to this in in rainbows on the closing track an, another fan favorite across the project york's solo versions of videotape suggested another pyramid song in the making given the spirit of in rainbows you'd be forgiven for assuming its studio counterpart might comprise some sort of epic finale but to the disappointment of fans, it, it wasn't to be. And, and instead, what we got was a, a circling piano coda and a bass line that seems to promise a climax, but it never gets there. It doesn't the closest, give you what it what you want. The closest we get to a climax on videotape is the ever-moving and ever-changing, extremely organic, 
almost taking on a life of its own drum pattern at the end with it getting sort of more intense as it goes on and then sort of fading out with the song. Um, and, um, well, I don't want to shoot my mouth off saying this. Um, but I think that I can say, um, that this is probably my favorite Radiohead closer. Like this song is unbelievable. It is so somber and the messaging behind it is, uh, fantastic. And it's, it doesn't take a genius either because you can look into the very first lyrics of the song where he says, uh, when I get to the pearly gates, uh, the, will they replay my videotape? Uh, basically saying when his life is over, how is he going to be judged and pondering that basically, uh, pondering life and death in the same track. Um, it's beautiful and it's heart wrenching in a way, especially with his vocal performance being very, very up close with really no effects added to it. Maybe some EQ or something like that. Um, but really nothing to manipulate his voice. It's raw and the energy you can feel it through the music you can feel it through the fucking audio file that they uploaded to the internet and it's it's oh my god i almost can't believe that it exists this is one for the good old days and i have it all here on red blue green tom york sings and it's an affecting sentiment that conjures up images of the lead singer who at, at that point was the father of two kids yeah and, something like that and you know being home filming as kids um a rickety drum beat and shuddering percussion work against the melody trying to throw it off but york sings against it and it's it's absolutely absolutely ridiculous you are my center when i spin away out of control and videotape there are so many good lyrics across this project, but especially on, on this track. And and I, a lot of the themes are different too. Did you notice that? Yeah. This the, uh, this is less about alienation and there's less loneliness on this project. Um, I mean, it still shows up, um, but this is more about love and life and death and sex and um, just pondering existence in general a lot of the times. Um, and, um, sort of our own temporal being and what it means to be human. Um, and it's a wonderful exploration of all of these things. It's sort of like a, it, again, sort of the spiritual successor to Kid A, the roboticness of Kid A gives way for in rainbows, human qualities. And I think it, it is in the end about humanity and what it means to be human and, um, God is it beautiful because the the organicness of everything on this album from the instrumentation to the vocals to the processing of everything um along with the lush and warm feeling that every single one of the tracks give off on this album it everything melds and makes for one of the best experiences listening to an album I've ever had um and uh, it's beautiful to me honestly as the real live drums give way to a, a barely distinguishing electric counterpart, Tom York trails off, his piano gently uncoils, and the end of a song ends in this perfect, perfect whimper. 
and you just you have to you you have to listen you have to listen to this. It's so emotionally loaded. It's so perfect. The whole thing is an extended metaphor, and of course, this being Radiohead, it's heavy-handed in its way, but it's also fitting close to such a human album as a whole. In the end, what in the end, what was feared came true. And Rainbows represents the sound of Radiohead coming back to Earth and, and being digestible in, in many ways. That That's what we thought. Um, I don't think that's true. And even if you do think that's true, there's nothing to be afraid of at all. I think this, that this album incredible. is much more ple- pleasurable and it's honestly more immediately enjoyable than album like Kid A is. Um, it's much more on the nose, um, and it's, but you know what? At the same time, it paved the way for a lot of shit too. Um, along with some other, uh, early 2000s folk albums, like, I I mean, like, or no, not early 2000s, late 2000s, um, like Fleet Foxes and stuff like that, paving way for a lot of the alternative folk and alternative, um, music that would be, um, created in the 2010s uh with acts like alt j um along with them inspiring some of fleet fox's later work and stuff like that this this album still is a pioneer in its own right um and honestly even even if it wasn't i couldn't care less um because of how unbelievable and how beautiful a lot of this album is not even a lot of it, just all of it. And I could go track by track here. I mean, I could I, like briefly, can I do that? Can I just do it? I want to talk about it. Um, okay. Um, 15 step starting with that starts off with this almost like even catchy drum beat. I would say, um, it, it's really, really snappy and it's kind of quiet and low key as well. No, wait, no, I'm thinking of another track. No, this is a fucking in your face almost kind of blown out but not really um and it just it pumps it goes right and (laughs) tom york comes in with his falsetto vocals and it it melds immediately with the drum beat and the groove is so weird because it's set in 15 what set in 15 time signature are you fucking kidding me and then it makes way for the beautiful guitar passages and all of the guitar passages on this album feel so organic and warm and beautiful. Um, ah, it melts my mind. And, uh, oh my god, the bridge is gorgeous, along with the switch-ups, uh, with the key changes and stuff like that across this song. Fantastic. Body Snatchers is this fuzzed-out, almost garage-rocky, kind of punked-out, uh, again, sort of in-your-face, um, more direct than most of the band's material has been um, in the years leading up to this point. Um, but it again uh, sees the same sort of warm, fuzzy feeling that a lot of the other tracks on this album give off. And it's gorgeous. And the, the song is so fantastically written as well that it blows my mind. Track three, Nude. Uh, this song was... Uh, in the writing process for years up to this point, and they finally decided to put it to tape, and God, am I glad that they did, because this is one of the most hauntingly beautiful Radiohead tracks 
ever, period. It's so gorgeous with all of the reverse vocals in the background kind of going and the arranged instrumentation at the end along with the vocal melody and the just oh the track is beautiful it's oh my god it's gorgeous uh weird fishes slash arpeggi fantastic again sort of a direct um but not in an in your face or punchy or loud really way it's more um based around um kind of snappy these uh snappy drums along with the guitar lines that are oh my god i don't know they're so simple but yet they're so poignant and they're so emotional um that it blows me the fuck away and tom york's vocals again are fantastic and i mean oh my god oh my god oh my god all i need with its sort of analogy bass um in the back, and it, I mean, it's so well written. Fast Arp is one of the shortest tracks on the album, uh, standing at like two minutes and thirty seconds. But again, uh, the guitars, the acoustic guitars, are beautiful. Tom York's voice is beautiful, um, along with the time signature switch ups that happen on the bridge. Um, Reckoner is one of the most well written tracks on here, um, and I mean th- that's saying something. It's oh my god, it's fantastic. House of Cards is sweet to the ear. It is one of the best um, alternative ballads that they've ever even come up with. Jake Saw Falling Into Place is one of my favorite Radiohead songs, period. And Videotape stands to be one of the greatest sentiments to ever leave off on on a Radiohead album ever. And that is my TED Talk. Thank you for coming. And that is really, really short. That's kind of concise. Um, and I could probably spend hours dissecting this, but I, uh, again, it would take hours, so... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at that. I'm going to let you take over. In Rainbows is one of the warmest and most heartfelt and human albums that Radiohead... No, it is the most uh, human album that Radiohead has ever really released. Um, and it's kind of standalone in that way in their discography. Um, but... It's I'm you know what I'm fine with that. It's kind of them playing outside of their comfort zone in a way. Um and again, I don't mind it. Um in fact, I think this is one of the best risks the band ever took. Um cuz we got some of the best songs that they've ever written. Um every single song on here is my favorite in one way or another and I just I can't I cannot get enough of this album. Every time I go back to it and I re-listen to it, I find things uh, hidden away, tucked away in some of the songs here. And again, they're so simple, uh, but again, but they kind of feel intricate in a way. And everything is so immaculately produced from the guitars to the drums to the vocals. Everything comes together to form this warm and welcoming atmosphere that the album has. And it, it's one of the things that I appreciate most about it. And it's one of the risks that I am most glad that Radiohead ever took in their entire career. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to stop myself here before I go off on any more tangents because I can't, I'm not going to be able to stop myself if I do. Um, this sort of, um, well, actually, this was a weird transitional point for the band as well. Um, because after this, 2007, um, we, we move on to, well, no, are we talking about this too? Shit. Uh, 
<laughs> okay. Uh, disc 2, again, was uh, recorded in the same time period that In Rainbows was recorded. So it has some of the same aesthetics, but again, it is different than In Rainbows entirely, and I can see why they took out the material that they did. Um, but a lot of it is still, again, worth revisiting and listening to. So let's get into that, shall we? Like the main LP, this bonus disc could not be mistaken for the work of a a band other than Radiohead. From Tom York's nerves edge vocal delivery to Eversider splashes of experimentalism to guitar tones as, as fussed over as the band's hit single creep. This, this, this record in rainbows, this too, it also catches the band at one of its most scatterbrained moments. If you thought Hail to the Chief was bad, thief. this is this Hail to the Thief was bad. This is along the same the same vein. Um, not only did Radiohead cram the the I don't know the, not only did they cram the leftovers of their last project onto this bonus disc, but they also gather all the mopey and overplayed tropes that their last album left behind. And I'm really, really glad that they they didn't put this out as a conjoined twin the same way that they did Amnesiac to Kid A. They did this correctly in saying that this is the B-sides to our record. And that makes this more like, I don't I don't know if acceptable is the right word, but I am more okay with it for that reason. Radiohead has never capitalized on tension, but here that tension kind of turns into exhaustion in many ways. The playlist wades from one slice of paranoia to another, and the ear going most often to the incessant horror film piano in Tom York's voice, his strained falsetto and near soul singing on the song Down is the New Up, deliver the the risk-taking you'd expect from an odds and ends release, not from a Radiohead release, but the cynical alienated rut into what he, it's, I don't know, this album is kind of like a toothache in the way that it persists. It's almost not even like an album either, though. It's, it's kind of a playlist. Kind of. It's, again, kind of a B-sides record. It's like, what, eight tracks? 27 minutes, seven tracks, 27 minutes. So like 26 minutes. No. Yeah, it is eight songs, 26 minutes. So there's not a whole lot of material here to begin with. Um, And I think they put it out in that intention and I'm fine with that. Up on the ladder, which has been under construction since the 1990s. Jesus. Is... (laughs) up where you left left off the track up on the ladder which has been under construction since the 1990s is little 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 bite in a a lot of bark also elsewhere bear lines like i can't find i can't face and um, i can't face the evening straight and you can offer me escape 
sound it sounds like the drunk guy that you turn away from at a concert to avoid what he's saying this is kind of like the most i don't want to say generic but these are kind of the most like tropey music tropey lyrics that we've heard um tom york right and it, it's kind of okay because these are b-sides and they didn't actually put this on you know the an the, actual record the actual record but still, the the thick fog that hangs over the album doesn't obscure all of its gems. Okay, there are peaks of this. There are there is good stuff on this. Bangers um, plus mash, four minute warning, go slowly. All fucking fantastic. Yeah, although it goes nowhere, uh, go slowly, slow burn that would have fit on a proper um, album. For that matter, it, it could have been an outtake from any of their last four records honestly it would fit onto any of those quite well Mm. the pristine last flowers may be a textbook tom york ballad but at the very least it's a pretty one as the album's only wake up call bangers and mashes uh antic drum frantic drums um they they grab your attention until tom york's crude snarling let's do it again Although the the itchy, uncomfortable feeling it gives you is an interesting break, um, this is a this is an otherwise sweatless set, and they're just they've they've honed in their craft at, at this point. They know what they're doing. Um, the closest thing that I think to be deserving of being on an EP is Four Minute Warning. Honestly. Um, it's a, a breath-catching little campfire song about... Yeah, it's beautiful. What else? Taking cover from an aerial attack. Radiohead has predicted World War Three for so long, and it's no surprise that they'd be calm when the time presents itself. Of course. They are Radiohead, after all. But its weaknesses notwithstanding... This bonus disc isn't meant for the public at large. It's meant for the fans. Yeah, it's, it's meant material for the fans. It's meant for the people who've studied and gone through all of the bootlegs and studied YouTube clips and the clues on the album covers and the websites. To them, it's an extra goodie in a seem really a luxurious discography. It this this is for the fans. And as net savvy as Radiohead might be at times, and for the 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 goofy websites and sketch the goofy webcasts and sketchy websites um, that they posted on after the years, they still like to love their hard physical packages and give this in album form where you can buy it on vinyl, you can buy it on CD. They actually put this out rather than this just being an extra MP3 of b-sides um these aren't just the studio versions of up on the ladder which had been put out before but not in in this way they're the concise compact dick disc compact dick compact disc (laughs) editions polished and packaged as official versions and honestly i'm okay with it because i know what their intentions were and their intentions were good and honestly i think that they did it the right way even though this isn't the shiniest brightest moment in their discography it's not supposed to be um a lesser band might have crammed a lot of these tracks onto uh, an actual project but when radiohead 
put something on a disc, they, they mean for it to count. And the, the furthest that I've seen them stray, actually we're gonna talk about in a second, but for a band with so many ideas about digital life, um, they, they still treat the record as being really important and they didn't oversaturate it with these. They, put, they did this the correct way, in my opinion. Go ahead, you can transition us. That's all. Um, we're going to go ahead and talk about the next project, which was the 2011 The King of Limbs. Um, Ian is going to have a whole lot to say about this one. Oh, yeah. No, this was another complete 180, though. Complete 180. So we're going to go ahead and get into that. So after In Rainbows and In Rainbows Disc 2 came The King of Limbs, which was put out in 2011. And this was another large step in a different direction for um, Radiohead. Whether you liked that step or not, it was kind of dependent to what kind of Radiohead fan you are. If you're like a diehard fan, likely this was not for you. If you had just got into them, maybe within Rainbows... Um, you might have been more into this project. In Rainbows captured a new crowd because Radiohead had just implemented the pay what you think is fair system and that hadn't really been done before and they got so much attention and so much press for, for doing that in, in the first place. Um, they had begun using their popularity and really newly won independence to ask what might have been the most important question facing the music industry at this time during the like the download era of everything everything being free and that the question was what is an album worth to fans and radiohead was the one who you know kind of put this in the spotlight and said what what is this worth to you guys like is is this worth to you what what it, what it is to us and following following that kind of emotional thought process was the king of limbs which i don't think that there's a better way to describe it than kind of nonchalant and numb that's what that's what the album is for me it's kind of numb it's numb after it's it's this numb feeling throughout after this whole download era and almost almost being broken not by fans, but more by the industry. And that's kind of the, the, the mindset that Coldplay or that kill me. That's kind of the mindset that Radiohead <laughs> was had going into uh, this album. It's probably as close to Kid A as we're ever going to get again. Not in terms of really musicality or um, <clears throat> really the headspace or anything like that, more just in feeling, the feeling of barren. And the feeling of nothingness and the feeling of kind of um, being emotionally devoid of anything, kind of. Um, the King of Limbs for Radiohead was more of a minimalist step, though. Um, far, far more than Kid A was, because Kid A was, again, traveling more in electronic and IDM, um, playing with the... Uh, the synthesizers and getting as familiar with them as possible so they could create, um, sort of on the job and 
Um, King of Limbs uh, is similar. is It's in a similarly experimental direction with sort of playing with stuff, but this is more playing with loops um, and uh, playing. It's playing a lot with looping, and it's playing a lot with uh, different minimal samples and drum kits, pre-made drum kits within software and... Um, kind of building your song around a singular idea and looping that over and over again is basically what the King of Limbs aesthetic palette is. Um, and that can be, uh, taken in basically any sense of the word because, like, in every sense, that's, that's what this album is a lot of the times. Whether that be musically, whether that be in the drums or in the melody that is played throughout the very, very, uh, small and quiet synthesizers, uh, throughout the record, whether it be in Tom's voice, um, it's all a repeated phrase. Um, at least most of the time. I, it breaks form a couple of times, um, but, not really much. As well as this is Radiohead's shortest album by far. That it's, was another it's their first album to clock in under 40 minutes, which is kind of bridging the gap between a modern EP and an album. And that's intentional as well. That's another intentional artistic point saying that they don't need their album to be this long or they don't need to be bogged down. They're depressed with regular album length. They're depressed with trying to pad out their albums for new material. They just want to put out what they put out and not be, um, not be pressured into really anything else. And I mean, this sort of album length is not, is not a new thing either. You had bands doing this back in the sixties. Like, eight, eight songs, 30 minutes. They've been doing this for years. So this is not like a new thing. Um, but it was new to Radiohead and it was, um, obviously with Radiohead, a necessary step, um, just because of their artistic career and trying to take things in new directions. They have to try something new every time. Uh, whether that pans out or not is, really entirely up to chance, uh, and entirely up to how the band is feeling at that point, I guess, I guess. Um, and the King of Limbs is kind of, uh, a mixed bag critically and, uh, with the fan base, as Tyler mentioned before, it really depended on what kind of Radiohead fan you are, if you really like this album or not, and the minimalist qualities, um, um, it's not personally one of my favorite Radiohead albums, but I do feel like it is an important, again, artistic step that the band took. Um, just toying more with less. Yeah, Radio, or Tom York told um, Believer magazine, which is like the UK version of Rolling Stone, um, he told them, quote, none of us want to get into that creative hoo-ha of long of playing a long record again it it's just become a real drag it worked within rainbows because we had a real fixed idea about where we were going with the project but we've all said that we we can't possibly dive into that again it will literally kill us can't really be more blunt than that can you that's that's pretty legit but this this isn't the first time that radiohead or tom york um publicly fantasized about disowning the album format and putting out what what was comfortable and right for them but honestly coming out of great projects like the Benz OK Computer Kim A, uh, Kid A and Rainbows 
coming out of something like that, you've at by that point, you kind of developed this reputation and this standard. And there's probably not a better way to unburden yourself of having to put out the next OK computer, putting out the next in rainbows, whatever, whatever the case would be, then, then just offloading the format altogether and, and, and changing the, changing the, the, like the rules for engagement of what you have to do on, on the next project. Because if you change that, then your fans don't really get to say, well, this doesn't compare to this doesn't, well, this is totally different. This is a different concept. This is a different format. Um, it's not going to be the same because they are evolving always and you're never going to get the same project twice. Yeah. For a band, I've, I've kind of thought about that for a random band at Radiohead's point in their career. Like they have so much expectation to live up to. That's gotta be really stressful when creating an album. That I mean, they felt I, it on Kid A. Obviously, we've gone over that. I like said, even I now, that earlier, in their old age, I said it earlier with Pablo Honey or um, with the Benz. They never, they never stop trying to outrun Creep and the success of Creep. No matter what you do, that song is going to be your your peak, your highlight, and it's all because of it was just really good timing in the the music industry and you know what was popular at that time. That's the reason why that was massive. Same reason why Old Town Road is massive. It was if TikTok right didn't exist, if it wasn't the right time, the right place, if TikTok didn't exist, that song wouldn't have been what it was. It's not different with Creep. It's just a different time. And that's what made that song. But they never, they never stopped trying or never stopped having to try and outrun that and, and put out something greater and bigger and, and better than, than really their, even their first project. They, after that, it's always been that. And that's kind of what's different about King of Limbs is it's them taking a step back and saying, we're no longer going to kill ourselves over this. This is, you know. Did you want to get any into any specifics of of songs? Um, not too much. I mean, the I think the highlight of the album is Lotus Flower. That brings the most harmony, the most songwriting, and the most vocal prowess across the album. Um, I can at least appreciate where this album is going. Again, this is not my favorite in Radiohead's career, but I think it's a necessary evil um, because as a band, I think they feel the need at this point to try and keep progressing in whatever small way that they can. And while um, kind of playing with loops and all that stuff might seem minute, minuscule, kind of unneeded uh, at this point, you can't really blame them for trying new things at this point. It's in their DNA at this point to be Radiohead. And I mean, it did bring us to their next album, the 2016 release. So I'm not necessarily complaining. And if, if I'm being honest, the, the second, like the, the last stretch of the album is kind of like open free flowing space. And it's not very complicated. The, I would say that the first half of the album is probably more engaging and the second half is more, it kind of ends, it does end on, on a, um, it does end on a sweet note. Um, but after eight tracks, I think that honestly, if, if you're a fan of Radiohead, I do think that is, it's worth your time, but it's still probably Radiohead's worst album 
if not one of their worst albums. You can debate whether this is up there one with of Pablo, the weakest, honey. Yeah, at least. But th- yeah, this this just comes across as a depressed Radiohead who didn't really want to be making radio, or who didn't really want to be making music and and did anyway. And that's kind of the feeling that you get listening to this. It's not that it's not that they didn't try. It's not that they didn't have the ability, but it they just feel uninspired. They feel forced to to be putting something out and that's kind of the result of this is pleasing they're trying to please and Again, they're not pleasing themselves too. this is our opinion too so don't take this for truth or anything our opinion is fact fuck okay well this album here uh whether you like it or not did uh segue us into the at this point at the time of this recording this day in 2020, uh, we are, um, we are the, oh. at this point in 2020, their last album was released in 2016. And that 2016 record was a moon shaped pool. And they took a lot of the same, I don't want to say, they sort of took a lot of what they learned from this album. This album was sort of like an experiment in and of itself, it was like an exercise. Um, and they took some of that minimalism, um, and they mixed it with some of the saddest emotions that Radiohead has ever given us, and we got a moon-shaped pool. Shall we talk about it? Right. So, Moonshade Pool, 2016. Ian is obviously very excited to talk about this. I am. But the biggest shift for me, in my opinion, on this was the... Well, I guess it was the sound and the lyrics, but especially the lyrics. Oh, on this new record from Caleb's? Oh my gosh. The lyrics on this. The lyrics on this. Tom York has not been... Uh, I'd say he's pretty familiar with peppering in some cliches into into the into the albums in terms of lyrics, even though sometimes we get the the um, hmm, sometimes we we get the intermittent. What does that mean? You know, <laughs> sometimes we get those lyrics like a um. What was it? A pig on antibiotics on the OK computer? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you get something like that. But um, this this kind of moves away from his him displaying his mind of being filled with like useless data, meaningless data. And on on the new album, he moves beyond cynicism and... I think Ian's going to talk about it. So, a moon-shaped pool. Um, I, I've got to confess here. Uh, the very first, well, that I really remember, the very first time that I really remember uh, coming across Radiohead was really late 2015, I think. No, I was wrong. Really early 2016. 
Um, <clears throat> and I mean, I'd gotten now that I remember or now that I really, really know their discography, I kind of get flashbacks every once in a while to really early days where I heard maybe one or two songs from them. But my very, very first impression of Radiohead that I could really, really remember was uh, listening and watching the music video to Burn the Witch. Uh, very first track on here. Stands to be one of my fa- favorite Radiohead songs of all time uh, to this day, just because it holds that very special place in my heart and it's so well written. Um, but at first... 15-year-old me did not know what the hell to think. Um, I had really nothing to compare this to. And this is, again, very, very different for Radiohead. Burn the Witch is a very layered and kind of dense in a way. Not, like, super... It's not super-duper complicated in terms of the layering of instruments. There aren't too many things going on in too many different channels, but there is a gorgeous and grand string section, this arranged string section. Um, and my god, is it well put together. It, it just, it's, throughout the track, it is beautiful. It is beautifully produced. It sounds beautiful, and the, it complements the song, the actual tune, the core song so so well um and i didn't have anything to relate this back to so i had no idea what the hell to think so i kind of wrote it off for a while um and i can't exactly remember when i went back to it i kind of have this weird thing where I, i i won't know what to think about a song i've done this with songs like chop suey by system of a down didn't know what the hell to think about that either but over time, I kind of just went back to it and kept going back to it, even though I thought I didn't like it. But I ended up liking it. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever gone through a cycle like that. Maybe that's just maybe it's really weird. But no, I, no, fuck, I don't know. I, I can't I have to think. Anyway, I, this this song, again, has grown to be one of my favorites in Radiohead's discography. Um, and this is not the only track where they play around with kind of dense and layered orchestrated instrumentation. Um, they do that kind of all across the record, but they dabble in things, basically everything that they've ever done before. This is a very, very soft-spoken record. This is not loud by any means. Um, there aren't many shots or glimpses of a Radiohead's Radiohead's alt-rock past on here. This is more folk, um, more ambient, um, again, more orchestral. So, and the, the themes across this album are kind of not new territory for Coldplay, for, mm-hmm. they're not, it's not new territory, it's not new territory for Radiohead. Imagine that. Um, this album largely floats around with with the idea and the concept of surrender, and it's not it's not as if Tom York and Radiohead haven't flirted with this idea before on other projects, but this is the first time that we're really immersed in this principle that he's kind of Tom York has kind of strayed away from, and. Across this project, and especially towards the end, it almost feels as though 
the the submission is complete and it's really kind of a tender a tender moment the way that this album plays out and it's kind of cool that you the listener has the opportunity to go and experience it because it's one of these things like you can get feelings from watching movies they can make you feel a way you can get it from reading something and i was talking about the book supermarket just like mind effed me so bad and i read it again because i couldn't comprehend what happened (laughs) there are experiences like this in music too I just had a mental breakdown while listening and reviewing Schlagenheim, and I didn't intend for that to happen, but it did. And you you can go and and experience something like this with this album too. You should do it. You should go listen to this. This, if you could walk on water, this album would be your soundtrack for that time. This is the saddest Radiohead album. This is definitely the most dreary and downtrodden of the it Radiohead is, albums. It is gorgeous. It, it's 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 dark, um, and it's hauntingly beautiful. Um, and they dabble in the electronic sounds that they were toying with in Kid A, and again they deal in more of the minimalist vibes that they uh, brought through on King of Limbs and. And they kind of cherry pick, and at this point in their career, they're they have a right to go back and cherry pick through their old stuff and just say, "Oh, that that's good. We'll use some a little bit of that, sprinkle a little bit of this in here." This, this sad- looks ripe. We'll pull this off the fucking the sadness tree. The sadness of the album largely comes from Tom York's separation with his his wife of. 23 years, I think they it, were together. It for wasn't a, long time. a short amount of time. No. It wasn't 23, um, I don't think, but. I think it was 23 years, but okay. the, that that occurred the August before the release date. So I'm I I would assume that the the period leading up to even August was not a happy time and the mindset is kind of shown across this and in throughout themes and the sound itself. It is dreary and downtrodden as Ian said and that comes from an emotional place yeah just like chris martin on cold on um chris martin from coldplay on ghost stories it's the same deal they put out this bright happy album something tragic and terrible is is occurring in your life and then you know that was the product of that it's kind of an amazing thing with music just in general that it can have that effect on you and you can you can see your emotions progress through your own personal timeline and in your in your created works as well. It wasn't just divorce either that drove him. Right. His wife died shortly after. Ex-wife. Ex-wife died shortly after they got the divorce. I think within a year. So that's a lot. It, yeah. Tom York has never been known for his emotional stability either. So you can imagine how it... I mean, they had two kids together. You can imagine how it affected him. Uh, and it shows in their music very, very clearly. Uh, True Love Waits, the final song on the album, stands to be possibly the... Possibly the most depressing moment in Radiohead's career, like, period. As 
far as recorded works, like th- this is this is this is nearing the top of the sad chain. This is, um, <laughs> and uh, this album is also this is an experience as well. You kind of have to dive into it yourself to really full on get the the full effect, of course. But um, this album is so hauntingly beautiful and minimal and the oh god but it's so dense and it's so dark at the same time and it's so emotionally potent that i i struggle to wrap my head around all of the emotions that this album gives me in the uh 11 11 track long 52 minute runtime of this album there there is a a hurricane of uh emotional depth that hits hits me and i i just i i can't i can't even begin to one of the things that like sets Radiohead apart from other bands, especially in their like albums, is that their albums are commonly both what dreams are made of and also what nightmares are made of. There, it is absolutely always a mixed bag and a mix of of what you're going to experience. You're gonna experience some. You're gonna experience some dreamy next other otherworldly um stuff and you're also going to get a healthy dose of reality in a lot of the music yeah that's a good way to put this album actually this is- and i i think that this album is like the best the the best example of that on their their out on their throughout their discography it's not even really a healthy dose of reality either. It's a it's a kind of unhealthy dose of reality. Sometimes, I mean, that, he gets he gets true. into politics, he gets into uh, emotional trauma, he gets into uh, this is what Tom one of Tom York's shining moments in their discography for his lyrical content and just his vocal delivery as well in general. It's I don't know. At this point, he's in like his sixties, so he he knows his way around his own voice and it. Hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of. I'm. I'm getting in the feels just thinking about listening to this album. <laughs> it's so effective. I don't know. I think at the very least there are a lot of hidden truths within this album, and they often lie in plain sight, and you just have to be looking for it. And I think that this is probably one of one of the the projects that you can go into. And if, if you're experiencing something similar, you're going to relate to it. And if you're not currently experiencing it, you are still going to relate to it because it is conveyed in such a way that is emotional, it, that is emotional regardless of what point in your, in your life you're, you're currently at. And you're going to feel it because he's expressing it and the band is expressing the feeling in in such a way that's just indescribable. It's it's crazy. This album hit me like the end of Inception. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, just obliterated my hopes and dreams. Yeah, I mean, from the organicness that comes through on this album, the the dreary kind of churning dreamy daydreaming uh to the uh very folky desert island disc to the kind of 
almost kind of IDME full stop in a way. Uh, very, very odd. Uh, again, the, the band doesn't, <laughs> the band does not stop being odd. And I mean, it, it, it ends on a, I, I almost don't even want to say a high note because the, 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 the true love waits is, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a high, high note in one way. It's a, it's a very, very, uh, good note to go out on, but it is, it is a, uh, it's an emotionally ravishing note. Destroyed my insides. I think we should go out on that. Yeah. We're going to destroy my insides. We're going to give a tier list of our albums. Yeah, we're going to close this off. I, I, point being, go listen to Radiohead's yeah. discography. It is absolutely essential in music history in general. Not just alt rock, not just electronic music, not... I can't confine them to one genre. Go listen to their discography because it is it is so important, especially to modern music uh, post two thousand. It just and to me, and to me, so and it should be to you. So go listen. <laughs> All right, Thomas York is one of my heroes. We're gonna start from the bottom, and we're gonna work our way up. I have a feeling that Ian and I are going to agree pretty similarly until we get to the top, and then I think it might vary a little bit. I'm just going to say none of their albums really dip below a C for me. If we're doing this in letter I grades, agree. I would agree. I'm not, so we're not going to do D or E or F or anything like we that. Start, I'm at C, start, start at C, move lowest, up to S. What is your lowest C? My lowest C? Yep. Probably King of Limbs. King of Limbs would be like headed towards D, not quite there. Pablo Honey would also be C tier. Really? Those are my two C tiers. I think that that is appropriate. I would put Amnesiac also as a C. Amnesiac was put out. Amnesiac, the, it is the B sides to yeah, Kid A, and they it, didn't market it that way. They put it out as its own project. There were some really good songs on it, though. Yeah, there but it's still, some, it's still a C for that. That doesn't as an album. Date. It's not like fantastic, but it's not. I don't think it's quite a C for me. It's a B for you. Real, getting real edge. It's it's okay. it's giving the C a rim job, but it's it it's still in. It, I think it's still in B. Okay. So go ahead. So B is that your lowest B? Wait, is that the only C for you? I I agreed with you. Oh, you know, on the other table, honey and yeah. amnesiac for me. Okay. Uh, the beds would be B. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um. Is that it? Wait. I mean, wait. Be, be are we counting disc two as well of In Rainbows? Yes. Okay. In Rainbow. Then the disc two of In Rainbows would probably be a C as well. Hail to the Thief and In Rainbows disc two are both B for me. I'd put Hail to the Thief in a B, I think, as well. Yeah. Next. Your lowest, your lowest A. Do you want me to go? Go ahead. My lowest A is the Benz. Okay. For me, it's still an A, but it's teetering on the edge of being a good, a solid B. But it's an A for me. Um, next, wow, this this is where it gets hard. Would be a Moon Shape Pool. That would be my second. Um. Yeah, that's it. Moon Shape Pool is a high A for me. Like it is nearing S. Is that it for A? You had one A. Mm. 
Wow. I've got three S tiers, brother. Actually, you know what? I got two S tiers. What are they? Kid A and OK Computer are S. Hmm. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Kid A, OK Computer, and In Rainbows are all S tier for me. They are supreme. They are immaculate. They are incredible. And now Ian is going to... In Rainbows is like a double S. It's like, it's it's God tier, dude. It's a double S. It is, it is my personal favorite. It is, uh, dude, dude. It is double, it, it is, it is, oh, is oh. is the album a ten? Is in rainbows a ten? Yes. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Abs- I would honestly probably okay computer. If not, if it's not a ten, it's very close to being one. Same with Kid, Kid A. Kid A, okay computer, and in rainbows are all tens for me. Yeah. Which is why I'm so glad that we covered Radiohead's discography because I, off the top of my head, I can't think of another band with three ten graded albums in my opinion they and if you can think of another then hold that thought because that discography will be coming, will be coming next yeah i mean i i don't know i don't know man i some of my favorite music of all time has been written by these guys like i've just been i've my mind has been expanded by them uh, I'm, uh, I, I, oh, God. Imagine meeting one of the band members, just be, being in the, pre- or seeing them live, being in the presence of a live act by Radiohead. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be wild. That'd be, that'd be nuts. If any, if, if any of you listeners out there have seen Radiohead live, I wish I was you. <laughs> I wish. Oh, shit. I, I, oh, I'm going to shut up. Go ahead. Do you have anything else to say, really? Yeah. Thank you for listening. We hope that you have enjoyed this as much as we did. Yeah. We spent really. a lot of time preparing for this. I hope that this two hours and 20 something minutes of content. Yeah, this is a long ass podcast. Is pleasable dude. for you because we had a good time and we, we had to record this over 18 sessions. Because it took so long to record. It also, was, it was a lot. This was over three plus hours of recording, which I have boiled down to not three hours yeah, of recording. It's a lot. Because we are not Joe Rogan and we don't get to do podcasts that long. Because the podcast god said no. <laughs> and if I don't want to listen to it, then you probably don't either. <laughs> Three hours is a long-ass time, brother. So, thank you for listening. We have new episodes every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, which means if you're in California, you can check it out at 6 a.m. Super dope. Also, um, stock market opens at 9.30 a.m. If you're asleep in California... <sighs> you're an idiot wake up people are already making decisions about your life and you're asleep <laughs> what the fuck also you can donate to us if you, you can go donate to, to the, the podcast you, donate yeah to the podcast. yeah it's the price of a gumball if you go Give us into, your money. if you go into the link in our I'm podcast description goblin feed me you can donate to Give us me gold follow us on instagram at sound audits 
We used to be at Sound Audits Podcast, but now we're not because I changed it. Now we're at Sound Audits. Branded TM. If you, yeah, if you would like us to make merch, tell us and maybe we will. <laughs> and we will I'd just wear, wear it because no one will buy it. Yeah, it's okay. Be super sick. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. If you if you enjoyed this podcast, let us know. Give us uh, a rating. We would we would we would love to make more of these just because it was so much fun. But I mean, it, I think it all boils down to what you guys want in the end as well because you are our listeners. We don't want to piss off the listener gods either, as well as we don't want to piss off the podcast gods. So you guys are like Zeus. Yeah. Strike us down with your ratings. Thank you for listening. Be on the lookout for new podcasts as well as possibly new music in the future from either one of us. We'll keep you updated on this stuff. And uh, yeah, until next time, have a good week. Peace. You've been sound. Audited. That was close. Peace. <laughs>